With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great program for you today. Interviews with really interesting people in the comics community. Of course, the new television season has just gotten started. We've already got a couple episodes of The Muppets under our belts and... Uh, Shield just started last night, and uh, I know iZombie is coming up along with Arrow and Flash uh, next week on CW, and I'm very happy to have Chris Robertson, the co-creator of iZombie, on, because of Chris brings a different point of view than the Bendises do when they talk about uh, Powers on Sony, or Kirkman with Walking Dead. I mean, they're active producers. In the case of Robertson, you know, he and Mike Allred created iZombie for the Vertigo line, and uh, then, of course, it was taken over by uh, the CW producers and turned into a great hit. Really looking forward to season two. But uh, we talk about the origins of iZombie as a comic book, the differences between the television show and the comic book, possible future plans for the comic book, because after all, uh, it did end at issue 29, and uh, the show is a hit, and certainly uh, Warner Brothers and DC are not dumb. They know that if they got a hit, they may as well uh, give us more iZombie. Uh, a collected edition is coming out at the end of the year, and uh, we talk a bit about that. Uh, plus, we talk about other things that Chris has been working on, comics and the like, and uh, it's a great conversation. Chris Robertson on part one of Word Balloon. Part two is uh, more conversation from Cincy Comic-Con. It's a Batman versus Superman panel. We had so many Batman and Superman creators there at Cincy Comic-Con. It was a pleasure to get them all on stage together, talk about the characters in general, and also uh, their tie-on books if they weren't working on specifically a Batman or Superman book. But uh, I'm talking about Chris Robertson, Jeff Parker, Ray Fox, Cameron Stewart, Brendan Fletcher, all together, all talking about Batman and Superman and different things. And uh, it just became a nice, loose conversation. It gave the guys a chance to talk about uh, some of their books, like uh, Gotham Academy and Gotham by Midnight. And uh, certainly Batgirl and Black Canary entered the conversation. Um, Parker had uh, an interesting point of view writing Batman 66 and uh, also uh, an Adventures of Superman story. And uh, Robertson uh, took over Superman at a very controversial time when J. Michael Straczynski left the book in mid-run, and Chris had to jump in and uh, provide some really good entertainment. So uh, it's a good opportunity to talk to these creators about the differences of those two heroes, but also uh, their points of view of how they fit into today's society. A Batman versus Superman panel to end things on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, as always, for your great support. It's truly appreciated. Uh, don't forget, if you would like to uh, help subscribe uh, to Word Balloon, you can go to uh, wordballoon.com and find information there, right there on the front page. You can click on a tab and watch some videos explaining uh, what you know I, why I need money. If uh, you can help me out, that's great. And uh, go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. That's the direct page to subscribe. If you can spare a dollar or two a, a month, that's terrific. I really appreciate the help. And uh, Word Balloon uses that money to travel to these great conventions, get uh, new guests lined up, uh, participate in panels, and uh, bring you some great comic book discussion every week 
right here. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Bald Eagle Comics, an online comic book store, giving you deep discounts on your favorite titles. All items on the Bald Eagle site are marked down 20% from sticker price, and they have exclusive weekly deals that help you save even more. Some of the new releases at reduced prices at Bald Eagle Comics, you can get uh, books like uh, Justice League 44, which uh, lists at $3.99. You can get it for $3.19. The Grayson Annual 2 is marked down a dollar from $4.99 to $3.99. You can get Superman number 44 from $3.99 down to $3.19. All the items on Bald Eagle's site are marked down 20% from sticker price, and they have exclusive weekly deals that help you save even more. Shipping is just $3 on all orders, but they'll give you free rush shipping on any order over $50. They know that you want your comics to arrive safely, which is why every comic comes in a free bag and board. You won't find a lower price, better service, or people who care more about comics than at Bald Eagle Comics. And also, don't forget, if you enter the code ROAD and it's your first order with Bald Eagle Comics, Comics, you'll receive 50% off the total price of your order. So that's a great deal for first-time customers with Word Balloon. Again, enter the code ROAD at Bald Eagle Comics on your first order. You'll receive 50% off the total price on that first order. For more details, check out their website, baldeaglecomics.com. All right, let's get things started with uh, Chris Robertson. It's great to have Chris back. He's an old friend of Word Balloon's, and it is so thrilling for all of these guys that I've become, and women, that I've become friends with over the years, when their ship comes in and they get a great deal and uh, something they create becomes an up-and-running television show or movie. And uh, that happened with uh, Chris and Mike Allred with iZombie. So glad this mid-season CW show. And how often do you hear that as, as the beginning of a uh, television show? Mid-season on the CW, it becomes a hit, it is a thing, and people are as excited about that as they are The Flash and Arrow all coming back next week. So it's a great opportunity for uh, me to sit down with Chris. We did this at Cincy Comic Con. It was a one-on-one -on -one panel and really just a, an interview in front of an audience. I hope you enjoy it now on Word Balloon. Fantastic. It's uh, Sunday afternoon here at uh, Cincy Comic Con, and uh, I'm very happy uh, to have the opportunity to talk to an old friend of Word Balloons uh, and a very accomplished science fiction novelist, uh, the owner, co-owner with his wife of the wonderful Monkey Brain Comics, a wonderful digital initiative that I'm interested in hearing about. It's uh, continued progress. Three years right now, isn't it? Uh, it's yeah, third year. North of third year. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, uh, most importantly, and I know for our, our live uh, audience as well, the co-creator of the hit WB or CW show. I was going to say WB, but I'm aging myself. The CW's excellent surprise hit of the end of last season, and I'm glad to hear that the second season is is coming. It's I Zombie. It's uh, Chris Robertson. Everybody. Thanks. Not to be pedantic, I'm the co-creator of the comic upon which the show developed by Rob Thomas and Diane Margero Wright developed. I appreciate the distinction, and it is because of that unique position that, I, that will be part of my questioning, because I want to hear about the origin of the comic, and also, you know, everything that's progressed since then. All right. But, uh, yeah, so at the genesis of iZombie, you and Mike Allred... Mm -hmm. um, who came to who first, and how did this this initial comic book happen? Um, well, actually, I just recently revisited all the original emails and proposal documents and whatnot because I was preparing the afterword for the omnibus that's coming out later this year. Um, and I hadn't reread all of iZombie since it ended. Like, I'd read, of course, I wrote it. I know what was in it. 
but I had never sat down and read the whole thing at once. Um, and there was lots of it I'd forgotten. Um, but the genesis of it was that I had been doing a bit of work uh, for Vertigo writing spin-offs of Bill Willingham's fables. Um, I'd done a Cinderella miniseries that uh, was well-received, ended up on the New York Times bestseller list briefly. And then um, uh, was looking for more work. So was asking, uh, you know, I was sending proposals and pitches to Shelley Bond over at Vertigo. And she basically just she didn't like any of them. None of them were landing. Um, and so in a kind of last-ditch attempt to keep that door open, I asked whether there were any moribund DC trademarks that they were trying to keep alive. Because one of the, if you're familiar with Vertigo Comics, one of the things that they did for the longest time was they would take old series titles and put new series under them in order to keep maintain those trademarks. Dead Man was a very popular DC mainstream book. Vertigo's Dead Man was a very different concept than well, Sandman. Uh, Sandman's you know, another the great losers, example. Obviously, I mean, you're right. The Losers, another one. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Shade the Changing Man. There were many of them. There you go. So I got a list of titles, uh, like five or six things. Um, uh, this was right. This was six years ago. God, it's been that long, really. Yeah, it was like wow. April of 2009. Holy cow. March of eight, 2009, so it was right in there. And um, in the list was Gravedigger, which in the, um, in the late 1970s was a st- strip that ran, and I think Minute War or something. It was about a World War II okay. uh, African-American soldier behind enemy lines. Uh, but the brief I was given was, you know, just ignore anything that came before to see if you can come up with new concepts to fit. And so uh, my kid at that point was in preschool. Um, she's, now going, she's now in the sixth grade. But she was in preschool at the time, and on the drive, I was just like, well, what would be interesting about a gravedigger? What, what, what kind of story? Because it couldn't just be someone that digs graves. Like, why are they digging graves? Are they burying something, or are they trying to get at something that's already buried? And that's when I hit upon, well, maybe it's a zombie. Maybe it's a zombie wanting to get it. Maybe a zombie doesn't want to hurt anybody. Maybe a zombie just wants to get brains. Um, and so they would be digging up graves to get the fresh ones. Um, and then very quickly, like I think by the time I got back from dropping, from picking the kid up from school, typed up a quick paragraph um, and sent it off. And it took a couple of weeks for Shelley to get around to, to looking at it. And then when she looked at it, she showed it to Karen Berger, who was then the executive editor at Vertigo, and called me back and said they were both really interested. They thought that this had potential, and could I work up a proposal? And I was leaving the next day for a convention, and so like on the flight to Mississippi the Gulfport, Mississippi, I worked out the bare bones of everything that was in the comic. Like all the supporting cast and the explanation for everything, everything worked. Typed it up at the show because it was kind of slow. And uh, mailed it when I got back. And that was, yeah, so I think April of 20, 2009 and we had a contract in place within like two or three weeks. It was really, really fast. Wow. Uh, but the wrinkle was that when um, uh, Shelley looked at the, the proposal and liked it. It, had a, it. it was the tone of the thing that it eventually took. She asked me what I had in mind for the art, like what kind of art style. And I said, well, I always liked that kind of like clean line, kind of cartoony style. People like, and I'll rattle off like Darwin Cook or Jay Bone or um, I, there were a couple of other names that like, the, looking back at the emails, like David Hahn was in there. I talked about Cliff Chang. Um, sure. And she said, well, what about somebody like Mike Allred? And I just assumed she meant like a starving art student who drew something like right, Mike Right, a Allred. type rather than the Mike Allred. And, yeah. You know, for comic people, that's a big name. Yeah. A big, big uh, fish. 
up to that point best known for uh, Mad Men. Um, yeah, the, the character Mad Men. Yeah, the from Mad Men from uh, the cartoons, not the ad executives of AMC. Right, right, right. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm brokering this. I know podcast listeners are like, yeah, we know Dummy. And it's like, you know, just in case, because we're, we're talking to a live audience as well, that is here clarify. as much as television fans as they are, you know, comic fans. So, so um, Mike wanted to do it. Uh, Mike liked the idea, but Mike didn't want to do uh, a work-for-hire book that DC would own. And so the solution was, how about we just come up with a new title and we own it? Um, and so it was actually Vertigo. Shelley Bond suggested the title, iZombie. I was like, yeah, that sounds fine to me. Oh, wow. Um, and we were off to the races. And that's how it happened. That's amazing. And, I'm, and I honestly, what, what blows my mind is because Kirkman and, and Tony Moore, who created The Walking Dead, co-created it initially, and Charlie Allard has you know, su- successively done the comic – the success of it as well on, on TV, uh, you, you would think that there wouldn't be room for that many more successful zombie properties out there. And again, with the help of a writer such as yourself and an artist like Mike Allred, I'm assuming, obviously, kind of, you know, help that initial, oh, wow, okay, these well, guys are doing- you know, I mean, the thing is, there wasn't, I think, fatigue, but, like, I was a huge fan of Walking Dead at that point. Sure. Like, um, and I felt like... That uh, uh, that Kirkman and, and Tony had pretty much cornered the market on the post-apocalyptic zombie scenario. I mean, they were True. they were exploring all the different things you could do, um, and so that's one of the reasons why I was like, "But you know, it's fairly recent, just in the last couple of decades, that the zombie became linked so inexorably to that subgenre." To the post-apocalyptic, yes, the end of the world kind of scenario. Because even Romero's Night of the Living Dead is not a post-apocalyptic thing. It's just a bad night that happens for these people (laughs) in Pittsburgh, in black and white. Yeah, Um, it's in the public domain. If you want to do anything, which is amazing, Uh, they didn't copyright it correctly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, isn't that that nuts? The original Night of the Living Dead is public domain movie. So I was like, why don't we? Why don't you? Why can't? Why couldn't you do with the zombie as a monster the same thing that people have done with the vampires? Aren't stuck in Eastern Europe in the well, yeah the Bela Lugosi archetype absolutely yeah and uh, yeah. you know werewolf stories don't have to be set in the forties in you know whatever like so why not do a zombie story that is happening right now in a way that doesn't completely destroy society so. Um, yeah, so that was my suggestion. And also to like, make the zombie a likable protagonist. Uh, I approached it as a romantic comedy the whole time, was my thing. Um, and I, I, when we announced it at San Diego that year... Yeah, was what was the, that initial reaction, yeah? Um, well, I think there was a little bit of like, oh, zombie, you know. But sure. Because Walking Dead pretty Again, much was cornering the market on Right, it. and then really in typical comic book fashion, if something succeeds, suddenly the, really the comic market gets flooded with yeah. poor imitations. And as you say, poor imitations of either end-of-the-world scenarios yeah. or just that grotesque kind yeah, yeah, of yeah. aspect of the zombie. And so, like, on the panel, I described it as a romantic comedy uh, starring the universal monsters types, but, like, as modern-day counterculture hipsters and uh, after the panel Karen came up to me and she said you're great you know you, you can be on any panels anytime never describe this book as like that again like never say it's a romantic comedy ever ever again and I was like alright they wanted it to be gritty mature reader stuff interesting yeah because in my head it was always an all ages book like sure um, I was writing something that I could hand to you know any kid 
It, so long as that kid was okay with the idea of the main character having to eat, brains, having to eat brains, <laughs> which I was fine with. I really, I didn't, I really, people would ask me when I would do signings early on. They'd be like, "Is this okay for my my eight year old?" I'd be like, "Yeah, totally." Like, oh, but unless your eight year old is bothered by cannibalism, <laughs> in which case, probably not. <laughs> but well, and I also, I, and and I'm sure one of the reasons why the show has appeal as well is. It has a female lead, yeah, and the comic has a female yeah. lead. So, so real, you know, obviously conscious choice to make it a woman uh, yeah. hero, heroine or hero as opposed to your your typical white, you know, hero. Well, even like, pale skin zombie hero. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I happily wear the the badge of social justice warrior. And so, in putting that book together, first, it being a female lead was that was without question. Was okay. Be it. But more than that, like I wanted to make sure that the cast surrounding her, it wasn't that thing where like, oh, it's just, it's a strong, plucky female lead and then like six middle-aged white guys. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I didn't realize until the book wrapped up, uh, we ran 28 issues all together, I didn't realize that I'd forgotten to put a straight white man in that book because um, there aren't any. Crazy. Um, there's one that I thought was for like a, like a full two issues until I realized he was gay. It, is, uh, does that happen a lot where you're writing a character and you suddenly, oh, wait a minute, this yeah. is a different person? Yeah. Because the character kind of takes over the writing. Yeah. And so it was, it, you know, I hate that cliche that, like, you know, the characters write themselves, but it kind of is part of your brain that you're not directly in connect with. And I find that characters' personalities kind of come out, like, as I'm writing the dialogue. And I'm like, oh, that's who this is. Yeah. So, and as you say, you wrote, you wrote the book for, for 28 issues. Did you have – because Vertigo, especially even then still, had that kind of 60 to 80 or even 90, even 100 issue kind of model. But there was kind of going to be an end to it and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you know? it was already – we had an end in mind. Um, but, you know, it kind of came out at a point where the sales were pretty, you know, tepid across the board for a lot okay. of different projects. And um, it just – I saw the writing on the wall fairly early because I wouldn't see the sales numbers. And so for at least a year out. like I, So I started like m- moving the pieces in the direction of the ending um, at least 10 issues out. And so I was shooting for 30. I was like, if we can get to 30, we'll be fine. And then the word came down that we had to issue 28. I was like, all right. I had to couple, cut a couple of subplots down, but I, okay. could, I could get there. So we got to the end we wanted to get to. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. When does the omnibus come out? Uh, I think December. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And what kind of uh, special bonus feature, supplemental feature? There's an exciting afterward from me. Excellent. Um, <laughs> Thrilling. And, yeah. And uh, um, Conceptual art? Anything? Lots of sketchbook stuff, yeah. Like, okay. a, like a really healthy sketchbook section from, from All Red. Excellent. Yeah. So when did, when did the TV side suddenly, like, you know, when did you hear, when did you first hear that, hey, well, something's brewing? There had been interest for a while um, uh, from various quarters about TV and movie stuff because the basic idea of it like a zombie that has to eat brains to, to pass for human and then inherits the memories of the dead person and has to you know go finish their business and solve their murders um, is a pretty it's a pretty good idea sure. I think um, and the first I heard about the, the version that finally made it past all the hurdles and onto the air was I guess around September of 2013, so more than a year after the book wrapped up, I got a call from Jeff Johns, who uh, was then and now the chief creative officer over at DC Entertainment, that uh, Rob Thomas had been attached to, like, develop a pilot. 
But I'm pretty jaded because I've been down this road on the other projects before. Sure. We're like, ooh, some big name is attached to a thing and then nothing happens. Absolutely. So I was like, whatever. That's cool. That's, that, that sounds good. Let me know. Keep me posted. It was basically that was my answer. Like, Keep me posted. And then a couple months later, I was like, well, you know, they were going to be shooting the pilot. There's a script that was run, written. I was like, all right, let me know. Keep me posted. It would be good if that happened. And then up to the point where, like, I was on the set with my wife and kid uh, while they were filming the pilot in Vancouver in April of 2014, I was like, yeah, it's cool. Keep me posted. It'd be nice if this happened. Because even then, I didn't really think that. Sure. Um, it was nice because we, we ended up on the set. For those of you that know the show, like uh, um, Raul, who plays Dr. Ravi, the, the medical examiner, uh, it was his first day on set. Um, he, they had hired him on the basis of a videotaped audition. So they'd never even met him in person. Oh, wow. So he, wow. F- he flew over from London. He'd done a little bit of work in the U.K., but not a lot. So he was pretty, pretty fresh and new. And uh, so his first day on the set... My wife and I are there. Um, uh, there's a, a, a guy from DC Entertainment. Pornsack was there. Pornsack Pinchot. Uh, and they had him do something like, I think, 12 pages of script. Uh, all they of shot it, 12 pages of script? Yeah. All wow. of it medical jargon. Holy like, cow. All, like crazy, crazy medical jargon stuff. Wow. That's really, that's pretty intense. And, uh, man, he nailed it. Like, he was so fantastic. And Alice and I were both like, this guy's great. I mean, he's going to, uh, Rose McIver's fantastic, too. Uh, and Malcolm was there for just a little bit, the guy who plays the, the police detective. But it was mostly the Raul show. And just sitting there watching, like, wow, this guy's great. And then in between takes, we'd get together and talk. And it turns out he was a big comics fan. And so he's like, what is Alan Moore really like? I'm like, he's really nice. Like, <laughs> um, you'd like him. Very cool. Creator of Watchmen for, yeah. for, again, the TV crowd that may not know. Uh, that's awesome, man. Well, and again, as you point out, uh, Rob Thomason, and forgive me, I forget the... the Diane Majero, Diane right? Majero, they are the showrunners mm-hmm. and kind of the co-creators of the television version of it. So it is different than active comic creators like a Robert Kirkman on Walking Dead, Brian Bendis currently uh, with his uh, television show Powers on Sony PlayStation, you know, even uh, Jeff Loeb, who's done a lot of work for Marvel as the head of Marvel Television, is an active producer on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so uh, and and yeah, so you know they've taken the basic concept, but they make changes and yeah. things. And at what point were you aware of of their like? Did you see the the pilot script? Oh, yeah, before, yeah. yeah. Before the, the, shot? the phrase is I that, used- a, is that is that uh, a courtesy or is it? Bec- I mean, like what kind of not power, but you know what I'm saying, influence or yeah, whatever? Yeah, kind of do weight you- do I have to throw out? Yeah, yeah, I mean, legally and contractually, none. Okay, um, because like I couldn't prevent them from doing anything because they have per- they they purchased the the right to do it they licensed the right to do the show um the, the showrunners licensed yeah. the right well to do, cw or, i mean or, or, yeah, cw, CW and the, but the way it happened was dc entertainment warner television well, warner television really handed the, the comic to rob thomas like brought him in for a meeting handed him the first volume of the eye zombie comic and said we would like you to develop this for a tv show um, and so he went off and read it, and he took from the, the things that he thought would make a good TV show, mm-hmm. um, and then built a new thing around it. And okay. in in comic terms, this I'm often asked like, how do I feel about the fact they made so many creative changes? But like, there is a long, proud tradition of people taking the title and basic concept of a thing, and then making a new thing underneath it. Sure. Um, 
their show is the Barry Allen to our Jay Garrick. You know, it's the okay. same title and the same yeah. basic idea. And they made something that I think is more fit to survive as a TV show than my thing would have been. Okay. Um, but yeah, so they sent me the pilot script and I read it and I was like, this is pretty smart. This is good. Um, and then we saw rough cuts of the pilot really early on. And in the summer before it aired, we saw the first four episodes. In the fall, we saw the rough cuts of the first four episodes. And my... It was my, a spring show, as I remember, too. It, it came in yeah, season. Yeah, it was a, it was a mid-season, like March or whatever. mid-season yeah. replacement yeah, 18 yeah, yeah. episodes. And my note, um, other than like, this is fantastic, the cast is great, you're all doing a fantastic job, is it was a lettering note. Uh, it was a what? Like, it was a lettering note. Oh, a lettering note. Because they were using comic fonts for all the titles. And the, uh, at the, in between every commercial break, they'll come back with like a kind of comic panel thing. And also the opening titles. And for people that know comics lettering, um, <clears throat> you know the capital I with the bars at the top and the bottom? Those never appear in the middle of a word in a comic. Like, that's, it's, again, it's verboten. They're only for the beginning of a word or for the first person pronoun. And anytime you, comics people see that, it's just a red flag that this person is, they're not, they're not doing, they're not, they don't understand how comic lettering works. Okay. Interesting. So when I saw the pilot, it was like that throughout. Like every instance, every after every commercial break, the opening credits, all, and so I you wrote. Watch those. All right, that's interesting. They, so I wrote this impassioned email to Diane Ruggiero with tons of links to reference and like Todd Klein's blog and all kinds of things, saying you have to fix this. Okay. Like it's fantastic and I think it's great. You have to fix the lettering, or comics people are gonna notice it. And what's funny is when uh, they sent out the. Preview screeners to to you know journalists and whatnot. Yes. Yep. Um, Kurt Busick, uh, the fantastic comics writer, and a huge fan of Rob Thomas's work. He's an enormous fan of like Veronica Mars and stuff. Uh, was trying to get his hands on a copy, and I tried to get my hands on a copy. I couldn't. I didn't have a copy of that. Sure. But uh, through the social networks, Kurt managed to barter with somebody for a copy Hilarious. of the DVDs. Watched it, raved about it, and he said, "But they need to fix the lettering." <laughs> oh, that's great. I was like, I know, I know. So if you watch the first, like, four episodes, it starts off where the lettering is all incorrect, and it gets gradually correct as Hilarious. They go. Yeah. That's really, really cool. If people have questions about uh, about the, the series and everything, you know, um, as Chris says, he's, you know, he, he, he is in contact with the producers. The cool thing is, you told me this last night, that the, the stars really respect you guys. Yeah, yeah. Really I mean, respect you um, there's, Well, they're all such great people. I mean, everybody that we've been involved, we, we've, uh, not involved with necessarily, but we've interacted with on the show uh, are just so freaking charming. And um, they're really, really funny, too. So, like, normally kind of media panels at San Diego can kind of be a drag if there's lots of, like, egos involved. Sure. Or people, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to cast aspersions on people I don't know. But the iZombie panels at San Diego are so much fun because cool. those guys are so funny and smart and cool. quick on their feet. And, um, yeah, I, I, I like everything about them. Yeah. That's excellent. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because, again... When when a property is taken out of your hands, you you, you know you hope for the best, but you, you just never know. So that's and it's great that there is this mutual appreciation. What's funny is is of them all, like so Raul who plays Ravi and Robert Buckley who plays the the ex boyfriend. Um, Buckley's an enormous comics fanatic, like a huge huge comics fanatic, and they both gotten to go to like the DC offices, and they always walk away with armloads of like statues and stuff. Yeah, take this here. I'm Dan DeNeo. You can have anything yeah, you want. Yeah. All right, wonderful. Yeah, and Raul bought, uh, I mean, 
like this is his first big job. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah, and, no, these are kids. Uh, these are young, young actors. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They're doing great. That's cool. We got a question, please, sir. Yeah, I was just wanting to know. Um, my family and I love the show. Thank you so much. Whatever guidance you had in keeping it from being a movie so we could actually be able to see it on a weekly series, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I didn't have any guidance. I was just extraordinarily <laughs> lucky that that was the case. It's, yeah. it's a great idea. Uh, but curious, listening to what you're saying there, is there anything from what you see on the TV show, from what you actually wrote in the original comic, is there something that you would really prefer to have seen them integrate into the series? There is one thing, and I can't say what it is because they're doing it. Because um, it was something that I recommended very early on. Um, I, I really I can't say what it is. But um, it's more of a, a, a relationship kind of thing, character bits of business. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just found out at San Diego this year that they're, they're doing it. So that's, that's a subplot that's coming up this new season. So. Excellent. So, yes, the answer is yes, and it's happening anyway. So That's cool. And, and it's good to hear because I agree with you. I think, or at least – in terms of better a television series than a film, um, obviously it gives you – I mean, you guys explored the characters for – your characters for 28 issues and the TV show. You know, it's a, it's a, a bigger canvas. And, yeah, and yeah. so you can get into, as comic books have for a very long time, subplots and, you know, character relationships and character arcs that a two-hour movie, there just isn't time. Well, I think that you there's – you know, the narrative possibilities of the serial format – uh, and to, to, to talk about somebody else's thing for a second, like I adored uh, Marvel's Daredevil series that was on Netflix. Absolutely. And as I was watching it, I thought, there's things in here you would never do in a movie. Like you would, th- there, this fight scene just went on for 20 minutes. You would not do this in a movie. You wouldn't even do it on a regular TV show. Probably. But, you know, they were able to get away with it. And I think, yeah, uh, iZombie is a movie. Yeah. I much prefer the TV show. Yeah. I could have, you know, and you said you wanted to write an all-ages comic, and then you felt like you were writing an all-ages comic. Yes, yeah. and you, you know, know the thing is too, like um, when I was coming up with the idea, it was with an eye towards it being developed for television. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, so, like for example, in the first five issues of the comic, uh, they only ever go to three places. <laughs> um, because in my head, it was like, well, there's two sets and then a location shot. That That's awesome. To. Yeah, and so the the editor kept pushing me to like we've and Mike got so tired of drawing this one place. There's a diner they go to. He's like, I don't want to draw that diner again. I'm like, but that's the location. That's the that's the thing. <laughs> All right, fine. That's fantastic. Right, any more any more questions about about the TV show? Because um, really, Chris Chris is uh, multi talented and it really has a, a his his in- interest in a lot of different things. And I and I want to take the opportunity to talk to him, but I also want to cater to. Uh, I zombie questions and stuff. So even if we do deviate from the the I zombie discussion, I wouldn't mind getting back to it. I, I just, uh, yeah, I, like I said, because like one thing that Chris is involved with is uh, a digital imprint that he and his wife Allison Baker uh, started a couple of years ago, Monkey Brain Comics. And I really think that uh, the great thing is, as as Chris said in the the origin of I zombie, for because we've got a couple more people in than when we started. Um, you know, it started off as a, as this kind of a reinterpretation and a new idea uh, coming out of an old DC concept, totally changing the name, changing it to iZombie and stuff. Um, you know, you, you're a guy that you've had a lot of good original ideas, and I thought Monkey Brain was this excellent kind of comic laboratory that you yeah, created yeah. for opportunities for other creators to really bring their ideas and own them outright. 
because I mean that's the thing. Chris and Chris and Mike created the concept that became the television show and was further developed by the, the producers. But it has there is a difference. It's it's still worth exploring. And, and Chris has volumes of iZombie at his at his table here. And you know they're they're still obviously with the show's success. The, the individual story arcs are in demand. You've got the uh, the collected omnibus edition coming in a couple months and stuff. So you know Vertigo is going to be very happy. I wonder. Have you heard? Are they going to re before we go to Monkey Brain? Are they? Do you think they might bring back? I, I mean, they'd be kind of silly not to. There have been you some know. discussions about okay. stuff. Are, would they have to talk to you and Mike if yeah. they were? Great. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear that because. You you have had some differences of opinion with certain people at DC over the years, yeah. and and the fact that this thing did strike gold, li- I mean, because literally I remember seeing Chris's kind of online explanation to this fan base that he was building with the comic of iZombie, and it's you know we're not going to be able to do this anymore. Well, I mean, yeah, if, I'm, little, if I'm mischaracterizing, uh, yeah, there's, there's please, a, there's please explain. Little... The, the sequence of events was a little different because, okay. like, the book had run, kind of run its course tales well okay. before any of that stuff happened. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought they were around the same time, but no, please. They're, they were close together, but okay. there, there wasn't a causal relationship between them. I see. Two. All right. Um, but, um, yeah, but, you know, honestly, my dealings with everybody on the, the, the media side of DC has been great. Like Fantastic. Uh, Jeff Johns and Hank Canals have gone to great pains to, to take care of. The All Reds and us. Great. Um, and I got, I've got nothing but, but nice things to say about those okay. dudes. Okay. And yeah. Jeff, is, Jeff is like Lord of uh, – he's the chief creative officer of DC Entertainment. So Jeff really does oversee not just the comics but is very heavily involved on the television side and the film side. That's why Flash and Arrow and iZombie are as good as they are. Well, I, really, and- I personally believe – and it's funny because Marvel – uh, is going through some business that was announced last week, and maybe people from the comic side that had a serious impact on the movie side, it's kind of up in the air in terms of where that's going to go in the future for Marvel. And I really think that we have tangible evidence as comic fans of successful adaptations in both film and TV because the, the, the people that were involved are at least spoken to and you know given a chance to kind of get well, some I, ideas. I think, that, I think that Jeff Johns... Can and should be given a great deal of the credit for all those things ending up on TV in the first place, because that's basically what he's been doing the last few years is championing that. And so, like we did not DC nor the creators knew that iZombie had been picked up for a TV show until it was announced online. Like so, we knew a pilot had been made, but the way that the pilot process works, you don't know sure until the network makes their decision at the upfronts, right? And so um, we were just waiting. We thought. They seemed to like it, but you know we were in contact with Rob and Diane, and okay. they were in the same boat. Like they, they thought that the network liked it, but they weren't sure whether the show was going to get picked up. And then within like the span of something like less than 24 hours, it was announced that Arrow had been picked up for another season. Flash was announced. iZombie was announced. Gotham was announced, and Constantine was announced. Jesus Christ. Um, so it was like five shows on three different networks or something, and it was yeah. just insane. Um, so I imagine they had a pretty good day at the, <laughs> the, the offices in Burbank that day. But well, and also nothing's guaranteed. And, and I mean, again, iZombie came in as a mid, mid-season replacement, 13 episodes. You know, there was the potential to wrap it there if, yeah. if the viewers weren't there. Um, possibly, and I don't know, you, you know better talking to the showrunners, if there was a wrap-up like scenario in, that we didn't see. 
that could have been like, okay, that's it. We're you know, see ya. We tried because well, Constantine didn't really get a chance to. But the, I wrap think the, up. unfortunately, the the way that network television works, um, they're always in that boat. So like they didn't when they shot and were scripted and shot the first thirteen episodes, they didn't know if they were going to get more. And they got picked up for another season of 13 with an option to do nine more, right? Okay. So it's like a half season with an option to extend to the, a full oh, season. Oh, so did – I thought it was only the 13 that we got this year. We got, we got 13. We got 13 okay. the first season. The second season has a guaranteed 13. Okay. Or at least they've ordered 13. And they might order nine more. Right, to make it 22. Yeah. And that's kind of your standard – but Network television. But in, yeah. But in terms of structuring the story, that means going into season two, they don't know, do they have 13 episodes to tell Right, or arc? 22. Do they have 22? Wow. Like, how yeah. are they going to break it down? Right, right. So, yeah. But, I mean, I do th- – and, and, again, anything can happen, and who knows? Because, God, we've seen successful television shows like Heroes. Heroes. My God, what a huge – and I'm sure we all remember. It wasn't that long ago. Huge set hit the first season. Second season – Something happened with the magic. And, I mean, I've even had the opportunity to talk to guys like Jeff Loeb, who's now in charge of Marvel Television. He was, you know, part of the production team and one of the showrunners of Heroes. You know, there was a writer's strike in the middle of that second season as well, which didn't help Heroes' momentum. But yet just something something went wrong. I, ho- I certainly hope that doesn't happen in the case of iZombie. And also, I know you guys are all realists and are like, hey, whatever happens, you know, even this 13-episode yeah. run, cheers, way to go. How about that? Well, I have to say, you know, that when it landed at CW, uh, I won't say that I breathed a huge sigh of relief, but I was really, really glad. Because the... The threat, the cancellation threshold for network shows, for broadcast shows, for the big three, yeah, yeah. is that that bar is much higher to maintain. Like Constantine, Constantine's your classic example. Yeah, but so the CW isn't even carried in all broadcast markets. Yep, and so as a network, they t- pay a lot more attention to. What is that? Uh, broadcast plus three is the rating number, or, or sure like that because the plus three is like Hulu or DVR, and right? Stuff DVRs like that. and stuff, exactly. And re- isn't it crazy? It has taken this long, yeah, for networks to understand that. And in fairness to networks, because really they're not all bad. It's not they're not all bad people. A lot of it too is the money people are the advertisers, and it was really more the advertisers that had to truly be convinced yeah, yeah. that there is life and interest in a show beyond. The first time it airs live, but you can just you can just kind of look at what the CW has done over the course of the last handful of years, because Vampire they Diaries, uh, you know, a lot, Supernatural, ton of shows. Yeah, Arrow, well, good, like, well, and those are the successes. Even things like the One Hundred, yeah, and and some of their other genre fiction that hasn't quite taken off yet. God, WGN, uh, the national uh, version of WGN. I'm from Chicago, Salem, and something like that. I mean, they're in it for the long game. They know that... They give them a chance. Right. They're not going to just make 13 and, oh, well, we didn't make it. Let's move on to the other thing. They do give it a chance. And that's why some of these shows that still haven't gotten a huge audience, because Arrow and Flesh hit the ground running. iZombie hit the ground running. Um, they do give them more time to kind of find their audience. I got to tell you, the, the, the weird, one of the weirder things Please. is uh, iZombie merchandise in Hot Topics stores, <laughs> which just was announced this past week. That's weird. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, it's cool. Yeah, I'm glad they're doing it, but it's weird. Do you? Do you uh, forgive me. I don't want. I'm not, not going over your books. Do you get I a get, piece? I get a piece of everything. Fantastic. Yeah. Good for you, man. Yeah. You know the classic story is 
back in the 40s when they created Batman. I don't know if all of you know the, the Bob Kane story, the man who created Batman. You know, he didn't own it. I mean, she did, in it, or he should have. But, you know, DC, National Periodicals, who owned, or, you know, what became DC Comics, they owned the character. His dad's friend was a lawyer, and his father and this lawyer pled the case to National of... Because Bob King was like either like 19 or 20 or maybe even slightly younger. But they're like, give the kid a break. Just give him a percentage if you make any toys of this thing called Batman. How much money could that possibly be? And this is in the 40s. I mean, so this is even before like the Adam West stuff and everything. And Bob Kane died a very successful millionaire, not a billionaire, but a millionaire, because of not just the Batman, pardon my smacking the table, but not just because of the Adam West TV show, certainly another resurgence because of the Tim Burton movies, and the guy was cashing checks until the end, and that's great. So, you know, let's let's hope for that kind of uh, life for Robertson and uh, I would, Allred, I would very much like for <laughs> To run for very, very many years. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Man. No, I, I think it's great. So yeah, I mean, again, if, if people have my zombie questions and stuff, I'm happy to entertain them. But I, uh, as I started to say, uh, Chris and Allison, his wife, created Monkey Brain Comics a couple years ago. This digital initiative to be this uh, digital platform for comics for people who have ideas and are struggling to find a paper publisher. You guys obviously believe in digital comics, and as a, as a, as a starting point. And if you don't know, some very excellent books have come from them. Chris has created his own concepts as well, uh, like Edison Rex, yeah. which uh, we, we briefly mentioned on a panel yesterday, and we've talked about on Word Balloon. And if you want to tell people about uh, you know Edison Rex, yeah. no, I talk about other people's books. Okay, well, uh, yeah, uh, Chris Sabella and uh, and Ibrahim um, Mustafa, Ibrahim Mustafa, uh, High Crimes, which is a, a thriller set um, on Mount Everest. And uh, Paul Tobin and Colin Coover's Bandette, which is uh, uh, Eisner Award winning. A couple of Eisners, right? Uh, I know they've been remember. nominated a couple of times. I, I don't know how much they, hardware they've won. I think they won. won one. But yeah, uh, Bandette is a wonderful uh, female lead. It's kind of a French. Uh, She's a thief with a heart of gold in a pseudo 60s, pseudo Paris. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's, ador- it really, it's adorable. It really, Colleen's got great, kind of very f- friendly art. Paul's a wonderful writer. And it's just this very this great story, and they've started at Monkey Brain, yeah. and then you guys made a deal too with with IDW for no, actually the, the creators retained all the print rights. So okay, there you go. The creators made those deals. So okay. um, those two books both went to Dark Horse Comics, but okay. we've had that's others, right. Excuse me. Yeah, others others have gone to uh, IDW. Some went to Image. Yeah, excellent. And now this is your third year. Mm-hmm. And um, how many uh, bad debt still bad debt is still going? High, high crimes just wrapped up. High right? crimes wrapped up. Yeah, um, about two months ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, and bad debt is currently running. Are there any other uh, current uh, ones you want to promote? I mean, we've still, we've 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 taken our foot off the accelerator a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so all the books that we have been doing are still going. Um, you know, the money the money in digital is is a little is fairly modest, and so these remain like passion projects for people primarily. And part of a bigger publishing plan with hard with with print edition collections from publishers and things like that. Um, but no, like my book Edison Rex that I do with Dennis Culver, more is coming. Um, okay, it's only been 13 months since the last issue came out. All right, so. I'll, pr- I'll promote Chris's book because he's being modest about it and stuff. Basically, what would happen if Alex Luther were to defeat Superman? And well, I'll even just say defeat because you need to read the story. 
and suddenly Lex Luthor gets his final wish of like, finally I've been rid of my big bad. And if we truly believe, especially the modern take on Lex Luthor, which is that he's doing this because as an Earthman, he is the one that should be able to uh, to solve the ills of, of the world and stuff and be the great the great hero. Yeah, the part of where it came from yeah. was looking at those kind of like the mad scientist types and realizing that what separated them from a science hero like a Doc Savage like or a Doc Savage, yeah. was the presence of a superhero standing in their way. Like otherwise they're identical. Like they have, you know, they have the smarts to accomplish what the superpowers could. Yeah, and but their but the, their claim is always that if if not for that guy, they would be able to accomplish so much. And so I was like, well, let's take one of those guys. Let's see if we can reverse engineer a mad scientist back into a hero. A, yeah, a science, a science hero. hero. Yeah. yeah. And also, there's still a community of other heroes and other villains yeah, who, that maybe want this guy to remain what he was kind of yeah. pigeonholed as as the bad guy. So it's fun, and it's it's very funny, and it's a good homage to I think classic pulp and classic uh, Silver Age kind of heroics. And In stuff. my head, it's more Bronze Age, 1970s oh, okay. superhero comic, and that's yeah. very. I, I love that one of my favorite periods. I mean, that's Denny O'Neill and uh, Elliot Magan, as yeah. you say, and uh, Carrie Bates, and some of these great writers. Uh, God, uh, Steve Englehart. I said Gary Conway yesterday, and I meant Carrie Car- Bates. Oh, okay. By the way, when I yeah. was talking about that. Jerry Conway's another great one, too. Yeah. But yeah, Carrie Bates. Oh my, and again, uh, for TV reference and stuff, Carrie Bates, who is Jeff John's god when it comes to The Flash, and understandably so, because Carrie uh, really did like the classic modern Flash that I think they're, they're even using on TV and stuff. So. No, ex- excellent, excellent writer. You got to write uh, some Doc Savage. Yeah, I did. And it I've, was really, been, really good, man. I've been phenomenally lucky in my comics career in that I worked through my entire bucket list. Uh, oh, really? Is in, there Are there any other licensed characters that you still want to... Uh, well, attempt? there were two, and I'm, I'm doing both of them. Like, I didn't realize... Do we know who they are? Uh, one of the Hellboys been announced. That's true, yeah. We, I want to talk about that yesterday. So I'm taking over the writing duties on Hellboy and the BPRD. For Dark Horse. Um, for Dark Mike Mignola's a great character, yeah. absolutely. And um, doing another franchise license book for them that hasn't been announced yet. Okay. Oh, interesting. But, yeah. All right. Very, very good. That's that's excellent, man. Yeah, I'm psyched to see what uh, your BPRD uh, it's super fun. plans are and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got lots. You know, those great characters. You know, I'm all for, uh, God, uh, and now I'm blanking, Sons of Anarchy. Ron Perlman was in San Diego politicking his yeah, ass yeah. off, letting everyone know he wants to make a Hellboy 3. And I'm all for it. And I and I don't understand. I it's, I honestly, I, it's interesting. And there's a situation where really Mike is, Mike Bignola, the uh, the creator and stuff, he's kind of the guy that I think if, if they want to do it or not, he, I mean, obviously you need a studio, but it seems like those movies did well enough. Am I wrong? I don't know. You're, you're kind of, maybe you're closer to it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of close enough that I probably can't say too okay. much. But all right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, there. All right, there you go. So there's my unsolicited opinion on, on this subject. But no, you know, honestly, I. I uh, what do you think? Yeah, can we get a? Can somebody shut? I'll, the door? Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll shut the door. Or, you know, oh, sir, you're very sweet to do that. Thank you. Um, they got green shirts all over the place. It's like the Enterprise. Where's the red shirts? They've all left. Thank you, sir. That's very kind Thank of you. Thank you very much. Um, no, I, I, I. This is an interesting time of creator-owned attempts. While the light, you know, still working on licensed books, you did a, you know, you've done Superman runs and mm-hmm. you've done um, some other classic heroes and stuff. And like I say, you you are doing your own thing with Monkey Brain. Um, 
you know, yet where do you see the balance between the licensed books and what's happening right now? Can we keep that close? Is that all right? Thanks, man. Um, well, uh, realistically, I have to make a living, um, and uh, most of the creator-owned books that I've done have it like set the world afire. Um, but I, I think creatively, I like doing a mix of both. Like, I think if I was doing just one or the other, it would get kind of boring. But I, yeah. I, I like playing with other people's toys, too. Yeah. Do you, I, and yet again, you've got a great body of, sci- of sci-fi novels as well. Do you, do you want to get back to full novels, or are you happy in time? I actually have to finish a novel by the end of the year. I've got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I sold another one Good. On, on spec. That's so awesome, I have to man. go write it, yeah. Huge. Well, I know, uh, yeah, we're, I think we're running out of time, so I'll just wrap up and say I, I, uh, I appreciate the time. And uh, congratulations. I'm, I'm very happy with the, the success of iZombie that's happening in other media. I hope it means that it might be something that uh, Vertigo and DC Comics will uh, want more of. And I know that they will go to their proper co-creators and we'll hopefully get some more uh, work out of Mike Allred and uh, Chris Robertson. So thanks a lot for listening and thank you very much for your time today. Next up, to wrap up today's show, a great conversation about Batman and Superman. Certainly the movie is coming, and that was kind of the excuse at Cincy Comic-Con to have a Batman versus Superman panel. But it really wasn't Batman versus Superman. It was just an opportunity to discuss these icons, to speculate about the movie. But more importantly, uh, we had a great handful of creators that are working on Batman and Superman-related titles. So it was a great chance for to get everybody in a room talking about these characters, uh, what they mean their importance over the years, some historical notes here and there, and uh, just a great kind of hangout casual conversation. And uh, what a great lineup, man. We had Ray Fox, Brendan Fletcher, Cameron Stewart, Jeff Parker, Chris Robertson, Guys, and myself, me, but like all just talking about Batman and Superman. So very happy yeah, to so present that panel to you now. And when we talk, we will talk in the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, really, exactly. Can you, do, can you do that, like the lavalier microphone? And then we can strike matches on our chest hair. Absolutely. Yeah, let's get this. Like, yeah. yeah. Nice. Excellent. Plan, planning yeah. to be maximum horrible here, Johnson. No, no, no. I have full faith, Ray. Right. It's going to be good. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Batman v Superman panel. Slightly Dawn of Justice. Exactly. I was going to say. So exactly. Slightly deceptively titled because yes. We can get into the movie if we want to, but truly, I wanted the opportunity to talk to these guys because they've all uh, written the characters, uh, they've also written the, uh, the uh, characters that operate in their universes, and I thought it'd be a fun opportunity to really get to the heart of why this movie happened. The movie happened because there are great stories behind these characters, and uh, these men are responsible for many of them. All the way on my opposite end, we've got uh, the great Ray Fox, everybody. Fine writer. Cameron Stewart, next to him. Brendan Fletcher. Chris Robertson. And Jeff Parker as the Beaver. Excellent. That's when it sat there. That's what I was getting. Exactly. Yeah, you Beaumont. Looks like the wind-up on Leave it to Beaver. It's true. And I'm John Suntress, and I host uh, the Word Balloon podcast and have had the pleasure of uh, some of these men uh, already being on my podcast, and I look forward to the others coming on for longer interviews. But we are here to talk about uh, Batman and Superman, the great characters that have inspired us for decades and movies and TV. Um, We can get some of the movie stuff out of the way. All right, so is everyone psyched for the movie in the room? 
reasonably, all right, you know. No, but I can appreciate, all right, so are there doubters in the room? Couple doubters. Are they haters? Are they, yeah, you know, we call them doubters or haters or whatever. Is, uh, you know, we'll wait and see. Willing to go and judge when I see it. All right, I think that's very responsible and wise. And I, and I put myself in that category as well. Because so far, you know, the, I, I'm not a hater. The movies are all right. And I think whatever I didn't like about Man of Steel, they're going to have the opportunity to address in the, in the next movie. And that'll be interesting. I don't think Superman's a killer. But obviously it's on screen, so it happened. Or did it, because we saw Zod's body, I guess, in the tease trailer that's, that's been out there and stuff. But we'll see what happens. Regardless, like I said, the cool thing is all these guys have, uh, have worked on the characters. And uh, so I guess we should get the, the uh, schoolyard fistfight out of the way. Who wins Batman Superman, Jeff? Uh, Superman? All right, then. <laughs> There's no right answer. Chris? I mean, Batman's really weak. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the question is pointless because they're friends and they wouldn't fight. All right, I like that answer as well, although they have. There's precedent in the papers. You've got a Frank Miller Dark Knight story that would there tell you otherwise. There is one imaginary story set way in the future. Is it imaginary? Yes, it's totally an imaginary story. Uh, all right. Yes. All right. They're all imaginary, as Alan Moore would say. I don't know, but, man. Yeah, but, they, but it's okay because Superman clocked what was going on and there was some winking. And that's true. That's true. There was a heartbeat at the end, yeah. so that's, that's true. And, and he friends, pulled his punches. Friends you know. occasionally, you know, scuffle, it but, does, you know. That story got a lot of stank on Superman for decades. Yeah. Like, yeah, unfairly. It's taken a long time to peel that off. I agree. Yeah, I agree. So, Brendan? Lois. <laughs> yeah. Cam? Uh, you know these are fictional characters. I right? do. And, and, and like, really, I want to Anything. Yeah. Like, I, we could make Batman turn into a dragon if we wanted. I agree. Spoiler uh, alert. Yeah. Wait, Gotham Academy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of like when I, I kind of like when Green Arrow takes down Solomon Grundy in his book, and people are like, "Well, that wouldn't happen. He'd, he'd kill him." And it's like the book is called Green Arrow. Who do you think is going to win? So, if I had to choose one, I know I will BSL. say I'll play to the room. Batman, Batman will win. No, right. okay. If they're going to fight, though, Superman could drop something on him from orbit. There's no yeah. way. I'm sorry. It's true. Yeah, it's true, right? I'm going to say, if we're operating in the world of these characters, though, the way they've been designed, I think Superman would never not be able to pull his punch, and Batman would not pull punches at all. Mm. So, if any, I think Batman would actually win that fight, legit, logically. I understand. I I, I love the history of both characters, because really, in some ways, and I don't know if it's documented, going back to the, the late 30s, if truly Bob Kane was specifically or, or inspired by the success of action comics to create Batman or it was more of a pure pulp creation that kind of, you know, came from the zeitgeist of things like the shadow and well, I think it's both. Know, okay. I, I think and the Phantom. I think and the Phantom. Yeah. So it was it was national, right? Yes, national was, was, was DC's it, name back then. Yeah. Well, there were the, the two houses. There was all like, American and national. Yeah. That's right. And so yes. the national side I think we just wanted another one. Okay, and that's probably true. Yeah. Okay. That's true. So, and, and so by the way, and luckily Bob Kane knew Bill Finger, so yeah. it worked out. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the whole myth of, do you guys know the whole, are you hip to the whole story of, yeah, Bob Kane kind of takes the credit, but really it's Bill Finger and Jerry Robinson who probably did the heavy lifting. And especially when you see that original design of the Kane Batman, blonde hair, kind of more of a Hawkman design. Red, a, red and yellow. Red and yellow in the costume. And <laughs> well, stuff. And it's a swipe from an Alex Raven, I think, right? Yes, I, the pose. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Think have, you're you right. Seen, have you seen Bob Kane's tombstone? Yes. 
Yes. Where it's like it says that it, like it was an idea from God. Yeah. What a it's dick. Like, even after death, it's, it's like I'll leave it on this stone to get my last word. In. Yeah. 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 Cain is a scoundrel, but you have to give him a little from a creator standpoint, and certainly nowadays with creator-owned comics and acknowledging the rights of original creators, his dad or whoever it got the lawyer to uh, to kind of go to you know national then and kind of say, hey, can he just have a percent of the merchandising? And that was in the 40s or 50s, yeah, right? Because he was underage at the time, right? That's how they were able to get away. Oh man, yeah. was it that early think, that it happened? That I way? think he was like 17 or something, and that's that's how that's one of the reasons they were able to kind of steamroll national. Okay, this is an unauthorized panel, so everything yeah. we can say could be apocryphal. We're not really sure. It's, it's pretty cool, though, except for the way they squeezed out Bill Finger, who actually designed the character. Yeah. Absolutely. No, and, that, and then the yeah. beauty of that, of course, is in San Diego, uh, memorialized with the Bill Finger Award. And literally, I remember Arnold Drake saying that the Bill Finger Award should look like that because <laughs> it kind of was. The, the point of it is, you know, uh, great creators that have been forgotten and kind of slipped through the cracks, like unfortunately uh, Bill Finger did, who even wrote for the Batman the 66. Uh, I think that was one of his last yeah. jobs. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I know he was around like at least to the early 70s, and I don't know how much he did. I don't think he worked much after that. No, I understand. Yeah. I understand. So, and I want, uh, really, I want to uh, mention uh, Cameron and Blen- uh, Brendan in particular, too, because uh, Batgirl fans, nice. Thanks. Awesome book, gentlemen. Thank you. Great work. Thank you. Hell yeah. So, like, um, you know, and, and I'm glad that, you know, there, there was a real kind of frustration of Barbara getting the suit back because of Oracle being such an important character and sure. everything. But by the time you got him, I think the 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 tension had calmed down and people once again accepted. And it really in the yeah. zeitgeist they were in the mainstream, Barbara Gordon is back. That, you that can't was, fight that. Yeah. That was a I mean we were we were handed a, a chessboard and that piece was taken away, the Oracle thing. And we, so we, we didn't have the opportunity to use that character at all. We you know but we were what we were hoping to do was be able to carve a new piece that would fit in the in the set. Didn't you guys wasn't it you guys though that did that kind of Oracle sort of nod? Or was that pre-year run, where there was like that in artificial intelligence that was Oracle? No, that was no that's us. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. That was great, man. That yeah. was a fun idea. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Truly, we're we're officially we are not to use the name Oracle yet. <laughs> Probably ever. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's we, too bad. We, but we, we dance around. We it dance around month a lot after month. Oh yes. man, there's like a big space giant now named Oracle or something. That that's the, the, the cool. Oracle. That is the yeah. the Oracle. It'd be cool if that was also Barbara Gordon. That's the next start. Spoilers. And let's yeah. and really let's go down the row. And I know I um. Of, of active Batman or Superman creators and stuff, but Ray, I forgive, forgive me, which, which Gotham book are you? I'm doing Gotham by Midnight right now, which Batman is sort of a peripheral character in. Um, Gotham, but the concept of Gotham by Midnight, if you don't know it, is that um, there's, a, there's a small, unacknowledged police squad that Batman hands the weird supernatural cases to. Like, he'll come up with something and be like, no, I, don't, I don't know what to do about a ghost. Uh, and so he'll just give it to these guys. And, uh, and so, she would so, always be ghosts. Yeah. Uh, ghost. yeah. yeah. Vampire, I don't know. Um, so he gives it to these guys and they handle these cases for him. So Batman will show up here and there in the book um, to try and help them out or give them a case. Is Batman afraid of ghosts? Would you say? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to get deep into yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. 
Excellent. And, of course, you know, uh, Cam and Brendan are, are working on Batgirl and stuff. And, you know, so uh, and, uh, any, any more uh, or is that plenty on the plate, boys? Well, uh, for me, it's enough because I have other things that I'm doing uh, outside of D.C. Yes. Brendan's got Black Canary and Gotham Academy. Yes, indeed. And I want to talk about Black Canary, too, yeah. uh, too as well. Uh, yeah. So uh, And Gotham Academy, which is firmly set in Gotham, um, Black Canary is kind of touring. touring. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> With her rock group, yes, yeah, you know, interesting wrinkle to Black Canary, and I, and it's because from a design standpoint, I love that it does call back to the original classic look and everything, and but this, yeah, uh, tell me about like the band and everything and coming up with that concept. Well, it was, I mean, it came out of our Batgirl book. Um, we a lot, a lot of Batgirl stuff came, came from Brendan and I just kind of making jokes at each other about yeah. like funny stuff to do, and then we would go. Actually, that's that's kind of a good idea, and and we were, let's, so let's see if they'll buy into that. Yeah, so because we were because we were doing this like you know hipster Batgirl thing in in Gotham's Brooklyn, and when we were asked to include Dinah in in the story, um, we were thinking like, well, what what could we do that would be like a hipster thing? And we thought, well, she, she's got a voice, you know, that's her powers or her. Voice me. Let me just specify that when we talked about it, it was never hipster Batgirl or <laughs> a hipster thing. No, 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 no. no that no, came no. afterwards with everybody looking at it, right? Going, right, like, right no, this no. Hipster stuff. Right. It was like she's moved, she's in Brooklyn. What makes sense for Dinah Lance to be doing now that she's in this? Right. But I think when 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 we, when we first said, oh, she should be in a band, it yeah. was in the context of like we were just joking around. Yeah. And no, then, of course. And of course. then it was like, oh, actually, that that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And. Because yeah. I've said this before, but like we couldn't turn it into Birds of Prey if she had been Black Canary, the crime fighter, working alongside Batgirl, the crime fighter. It's basically just redoing the Birds of Prey book, which DC had just canceled. Right. And I can't wait for we can add Huntress as the barista. <laughs> <laughs> we, I think we can yeah, all shop girl. See, See, actually, the Huntress runs an artisanal cheese board. Awesome. Shop. <laughs> Perfect. Cheese-based villains. We had never planned to put Dinah Lance in the book. It was another character, and they um, suggested strongly that we get rid of the other character in favor of one of the other uh, characters that had nothing to do in the DCU at the moment. And uh, so we kind of had Dinah forced upon us, and we just sort of made the best with her that we could. And we came up with some really fun stuff to do with her, and, and that was, you know, a part of it, putting her in a band, which just made a lot of sense for that Batgirl story. But then um, it was fun. We didn't get to give it as much page space as I think we wanted to, and yeah. um, when I had the opportunity to pitch new ideas, that was a, a fun one that I wanted to play around with some more. Let's actually put her out on the road. Let's have her fighting ninjas and aliens. And we knew that was coming, like, halfway through the first arc, I think, so wasn't it? No, it was. Uh, Wasn't it? I that thought, was. I thought we were building to that spinoff. Like, by yeah, yeah, but I pitched that in September. <laughs> the book came. Our first issue came out in October. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah, I was yeah, on the yeah, phone yeah. with Mark in That's September, right. and I actually sent him the final pitch at the beginning of November. Right, right, right. So our second issue hadn't even come That's yet right. when there was an official pitch. That's right. Up to uh, Bob and Dan. Yeah. Fascinating. No, yes. honestly, I'm I'm curious, and also uh, is uh, was it always deemed that. Canary was going to be part of the Bat Universe, uh, you know, and uh, is she part of the Bat Universe now in her own book? <laughs> this is a good question for DC Editorial. Uh, I, I think that, like, these Because well, are you, like, subject to crossovers and shit like that? You guys probably all know this. Like, all, the, the characters all sort of, quote-unquote, belong to different groups of editorial groups within yep. DC. So yep. 
Um, for instance, if, if I want to use Tim Drake in an issue of Gotham Academy, I have to talk to the supergroup because he's part of Teen Titans, which is under the editorial purview of the Superman group. I didn't know uh, Or the Justice League group. I can't keep it. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's under another group. But you would so, think Tim Drake, a natural Batman Robin exactly. character. So anyone yeah. in the Batman universe that wants... Any writer who's doing... you know, If, if Ray wants to, to put uh, um, Tim Drake in, in Gotham by Midnight, uh, he has to get approval from another group. Yeah. Um, we need to get approval on Livewire because she's yeah. a Superman villain. And if we were going to do, you know, Babs redesigned the Livewire outfit, uh -huh. we had to get permission from the Superman group to do that. And then there's an added layer because Livewire is a character from the animated series, so then there's there's complications there as well. That's so what, where, that's what yeah. Batman versus Superman is about. Superman's mad that Batgirl was fighting Livewire. <laughs> <laughs> She's in my group, man. Yeah. yeah. So where doing? where Black Canary was concerned, that was a character on the edge um, because Birds of Prey was deemed a Bat book. Um, they were, uh, but be, but Tyna Lance Black Canary was seen as a Green Arrow character, and that's another group. Uh, Birds of Prey gave them the leverage to go in and say, no, let's just make this a, you know, when she does her solo, that's a bat group book. So okay. it was a conversation that, that had to happen. I am not surprised, and forgive the inside baseball, but this uh, is what I live for on Word Balloon and stuff. Everyone's like, so what does that have to do with Henry Cavill? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I have, so. a piece of, I have a piece of inside deep cut trivia, actually. Oh. Dinah's a little more tied to Gotham because we haven't had a chance to mention this yet, but Detective Lisa Drake is one of the star characters of Gotham by Midnight. And in the, in the character document, I've mentioned that she's actually Dinah's cousin. Fantastic. Right. Dun, dun, dun. I like it. Uh, so crossover coming. Yeah. We like it. That's excellent. Chris um, has worked on Superman. Before we get to Superman, um, did, did, did you do much Batman? I did um, a couple did of issues of, what was it called, Superman, Batman? Oh, sure. The, the thing before, the successor to World's Finest. Uh, yes. Yeah, the one that Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis started. Yeah, so they weren't the last issues, but I did the ones right before the last issues that Cullen Bunn did. Okay. Yeah. And who was your artist on those? Uh, Jesus Moreno. That Would, who did who did did they face a recognizable enemy back then? Well, um, when they there was the first DCU stuff I did. Um, I was just working for Vertigo at the time, and so I asked if I could use the DC one million versions of the characters, the the ones in the the Grant Morrison event. Yeah, yeah, a million months in the future, <laughs> and um, they face Epic, the Master of Time, <clears throat> a very very obscure. JLA villain that Grant had played with once in the JLA Wildcats crossover. So they fight him in the 853rd century, and he ends up back really in 1981 fighting Superman, Batman, and Robin the Teen Wonder. Um, and it's very clearly 1981. Okay. Um, but they made me remove a couple of references. But like Jimmy Olsen <laughs> is working for, he's on the, on the news, remember? Um, I can't remember what was it, GBS or something. Was oh yeah, yeah, Galaxy yeah. Broadcasting. Yeah, Morgan Edge's uh, broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and Steve Robin is the Lombard. team wonder. Steve Lombard, the sportscaster. Go on. I, yeah, he's on panel, but he doesn't say anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was the only time I did anything. And there's an issue of Superman I did that shows the real first time that Superman and Batman met, but with all the nods to all the other first times Superman and Batman met. Okay. So the world's finest uh, early pre one hundred issue, and it was the first crossover of Batman and Superman, where they're on the 
luxury liner together. So I mentioned the luxury liner. I mentioned uh, there's an, there was a really obscure Superboy story where they met at a baseball game. Yes. Uh, I mentioned that one. Um, when Superboy beats Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a couple of others. But this is there in, like, Nanda Parbat, you know, fighting uh, Vandal Savage's army. Hilarious. Uh, while they're in college, basically. Because they both kind of roamed around. At that point, before New 52, they had both spent time just wandering around the planet in their 20s. Yes. And I was like, ah, oh, they would have run into each other. Had a little <laughs> adventure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. And uh, I'm going to get to another great uh, Chris story that he did of Superman. So one of my favorites uh, that, you know, came under interesting circumstances and stuff. Uh, Parker has done uh, both interesting uh, Superman and Batman stories uh, that were started digitally and then, of course, print. You all, I don't know if you all know the Batman 66 car- comic book that Jeff does so successfully well. Uh, and continues to to the one where he drives us. around in a '60s muscle car. That's right, old chum. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's a Lincoln Futura, really. It is a Lincoln Futura, exactly. And also uh, did the Adventures of Superman. Uh, yeah, we started the uh, me and Chris Omni started the series. It was originally going to be Orson Scott Card, and then there was some kind of controversy. And then we. Uh, <laughs> it's kind and, of indicative and, of this uh, people on this panel. Go yeah, on. Yeah, that's the way everything happens. Something everything gets in because something else. <laughs> Uh, falls apart, and that, that's just the way it all, always goes. But it was cool though because uh, Chris and I had really wanted to do a Superman story, and and I wanted to do something where Lex Luthor just kind of setting things in motion, not getting directly involved, just constantly messing with Superman. You know, I was so, so intensely jealous because I'd wanted Somni to draw that Superman Batman story I just mentioned, and so I put him forward, and then they were like, Nah, they didn't want him to do it. Good God, so. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I, it's you smack your head sometimes at edit, editorial decisions like that. I and had a I had a hard time getting him uh, over at Marvel and Agents of Atlas, and it, I, th- I think they took to him eventually, though. Yeah, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. I think he's doing okay right now. He's <laughs> had some book called Daredevil that he's just wrapping yeah. up, and I forget what they're about to do him and Wade next. Maybe Black Widow, or I don't think they've announced it. Okay, yeah, I can't remember. All right, I, I think you just kind of... All right, maybe. Yeah, what? Well, no, but I know that's been the rumor. Again, this is an unauthorized panel, so don't worry. Yeah. That, that covers all kind of multitude of Exactly, things. exactly. So, no, and I didn't get it from them, so it's all right. It's something I read online. I mean, that's kind of what happens. Mentioning controversy, uh, back to Chris before we get to the Canadian contingent <laughs> again. Chris. Well, no, because really, like, you know, like Jeff said about the Orson Scott card thing, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, you might remember, was supposed to do... Uh, a twelve, a year-long Superman story that he bailed on early, and and poor Chris had to come in. And the cool thing was, no, I was lucky. Uh, well, poor, poor me, nothing. Well, good. Well, you saw it as an opportunity, Chris. Absolutely. Yeah, because I don't think I would have been able to do what I did had it not been for the circumstances. Because yeah, it was short time, obviously, and step in and like. Well, it was a dream job. Like that was like the job I had wanted since I was eight. Like writing Superman was like one of the things I started wanting to be a writer to do. Um, but like it was clear, I wanted to do it a, a, a certain way. Like I have very specific ideas about what Superman is and what he would do. And um, falling between the stools as it did, because the the, the grounded storyline had gone for a few months, and then Straczynski <laughs> kind of wandered away. Um, well, much like Superman walking yeah. across America, yeah. Straczynski walked across America. So they they tapped me, and I was like, "What well, Superman?" Like, I don't care what the circumstances are. I get to write Superman? Yeah. And, but because New 52 is, like, just over the horizon, it didn't matter. 
So like, the, like I could do whatever I wanted. Like literally, there were like the two. There were two things I couldn't do. I couldn't put Super Squirrel on panel. <laughs> um, and in fact, he was removed from the art. Like I had to like wrestle to get the artist to draw Super Squirrel right in cartoony form. He, he's from another dimension where everybody's funny animals. It's from Captain Carrot. It's totally legit. And it was um, like your fortress of infinity. The fortress of solidarity, which is where all the supermen from different time periods and dimensions hang out. And uh, it got to the, the coloring stage. And uh, the higher-ups decided that was too silly. And so they took him out. They also re- replaced, in the, in the art phase, I had the super twins from Planet Exor, which is where the Wonder Twins come from in the Super Friends. So I was like, eventually they'll get superpowers, right? And they wouldn't draw them as looking like the Wonder Twins, and they changed it so it was Planet Nexor instead of Exor. And I'm like, you people own these characters. What's the problem? <laughs> and I think there was one other thing I couldn't do. Uh, I couldn't have, in, in Superman, Batman, I couldn't have Batman called Robin Chum. But otherwise, I got to do whatever I wanted. I pretty much have that happen every single panel. <laughs> do they really? Yeah. Really? You can't say Trump? And well, he can, can because... Oh, I can. Oh, I was going to say. Oh, I thought, I thought they could do it. Exactly, old Trump. Absolutely. Chum, chum, yeah, but I was like, you know, with my first issue, I'm like, hey, can I just have super people from the future show up and tell Clark Kent he's awesome for a whole issue? And they're like, yeah, that's true. That's fine. Um, and uh, I have Elliot S. Magan. There's a whole issue that's just Elliot S. Magan hanging out with Clark Kent at a coffee shop in that Seattle. Was, that was I remember that. In I Portland. Love, I love his writing. Yeah. Did. Well, and also your, contra- your controversial story where um, a, a Middle Eastern hero yeah. uh, comes out. Well, he's American, out. actually. Well, of Middle so. Eastern descent. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that he operates out of Metropolis. And that was kind of a hot button. Well, what happened was, so in uh, the early 90s, uh, there was a three-part storyline that was, uh, I want to say Roger Stern wrote it, maybe? Probably. That's the right time period. Um, And um, I would think Swan drew it. Kurt Swan. It was one of the, like, yeah, towards the end there. But it was about this young uh, Karaki American, Karak being the DC Universe version of the Middle East over there, sure. um, who developed superpowers, like uh, in Metropolis. And kind of, he's like 14, and he helps Superman out of a jam. And then we never see him again. I think he showed up in like one special, like a couple years later. Um, and I was like, what's that kid doing now? Because at that point, there'd been no breaks in continuity. Between right. then and when we were, where we were. Post-crisis, pre-New 52. Yeah. And I was like, well, so it would have been a couple of years later. He's, he's the college age. And uh, I figure he moves out to California, you know. And sure. uh, he b- wants to be a, a Superman guy, you know, because he's got superpowers. So he puts on a suit and flies around, and he's L.A.'s new superhero. Because the whole thing was like Superman wandering across America. Right. But I also decided I would go ahead and, like... Put a lot of more super people in, so I had I had live wire live wire on stage and like had her slightly reformed and got the old electric blue Superman suit and put an L on it, and I, uh, I brought right. Iron Monroe back on stage because he's awesome, and uh, a new super chief who I was really excited about who only appeared in one page and one panel, and I spent months working on that guy, <laughs> sensational character find of 2010 super chief. So um, I have a Chris Somney uh, super chief sketch in my collection. Go on. I love that I guy. Love, I love Super Chief as well. Uh, bison, any, bison mask. Go on. Yeah, so um, so the story was basically, it was kind of reflected what was going on in the news at the time where uh, there was a super-powered Muslim guy flying around 
pulling cats out of trees and stopping bank robberies, <clears throat> and that some people might not be comfortable with a super-powered Muslim-American guy flying around. And um, it went through a lot. There were a lot of editorial revisions because I was pretty angry at the time, and so a lot of the rhetoric got toned down because I would just quote things people were shouting at benefits sure. on the news, sure. like sure. raising money for you know orphans, um, the things that protesters were shouting at them. So we toned that down a lot. Um, there was a little bit of concern from legal because I had designed the guy's emblem as uh, like a Superman shield shape, but with the Arabic letter S in it. Yep. Uh, and there was a little concern about that because his, his name was Sharif, which is uh, like protector, basically. Okay. And... Um, so everything was fine. We got it all through editorial. It was done. It was cool. It was at the printer. And then that David Goyer story, that eight-page David Goyer story where he renounces his U.S. citizenship came out. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Um, and Fox News went nuts. And that was the week before mine. Um, and my previous issue had ended with Superman standing under an American flag talking about what was great about the American way, um, which had was out the previous month. Um, and in the reaction, the furor of DC Comics Hates America, they got cold feet and uh, spiked the issue, like literally at the last minute. And they replaced it with a, a, a crypto story that had been sitting in a drawer that Kurt Busick had done. So, yeah. No, this happens. And it's a shame because you go back to the beginnings of both characters, and they were very much involved with social justice. One of my favorite early action stories was Superman cleaning up a slum yeah. and really, like, making better low-rent housing for everybody. And, I mean, fat cats, fat cat politicians were Superman's enemy in those first months of action comics. And it's, it's kind of disappointing that, you know, the edge has been blunted. We all understand why. And it's okay to sell bed sheets and birthday cakes, and I and I get that, and I think that's that's great. And Superman and Batman should be positive role models and stuff. Positive role models can take on more than just making sure Grandma gets across the street and get you know getting cats out of trees. Well, I, I mean, I understand what their fear was because I think well, they're right. I think that that week okay. Fox News would have jumped on it. Well, yeah, and I know on Marvel's side, you know, when uh, Brubaker was writing Captain America and had a couple of very inflammatory uh, stories. Uh, yeah, no, it could bite you in the ass. And again, these are big comp these are big corporations. I, I understand. It's just you know, the main thing I wanted to play with was, and this is in the news now. I think with a lot of the rhetoric that that, that we're hearing uh, about immigration issues, but that you know, if you take the basic Superman story, right? He's a refugee uh, yes. who, as a child, uh, arrives on our shores illegally and is adopted. <laughs> And raised by an American family, adopts our values and Absolutely. champions them yes. while still honoring his cultural background, right? So, like, that's cool. But, like, if you take that narrative and rather than it being an alien planet that's destroyed, make it uh, a country on our planet where there are brown-skinned folks who believe different things and follow that exact same narrative – that's going to be seen differently by yeah, that, a lot of people. That's on America for some reason. Yeah. Where or, the whole idea yeah. of Superman stands for truth, justice, and the American way, right? And the American way is 
a thing that is important. But then I, I think people, they backed off of that patriotic thing. Because yeah. I think pa- patriotism has gotten politicized in a weird way. Sadly. Where people on the left can't be patriotic, which is ridiculous. Sure. Because America is awesome. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. That was, that's, you know, you can loop that back to that's talking about the damage that was done to Superman kind yeah, of by the oh. Dark Knight Returns, right? And the idea that he was tied with being a Boy Scout, which was Reagan's equated with being uncool, right, with right. being someone who just does whatever the president tells him to. Yeah. Right. And very blatantly, um, I mean, really, I'm not trying to be a jerk when I say this, but yeah, I mean, it was Ronald Reagan in that book. Yeah, I mean, it, know, was, it was, yeah. So, um, yeah, like, it, it's funny, like, the, 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 the idea of him as an all American became damaged yeah. by the mockery of an all-American yeah. kind of uh, quarterback character. You know. Isn't it interesting, too, that with Batman, depending on the creator, and, and it, as it should be, both political sides could very easily claim Batman and have. And always do, yeah. You know, I mean, Bat- Bruce Wayne is a 1% kind of guy. Yeah. And yet also very much a social justice warrior. Uh, you think so? Well, in, in, <laughs> in the... Using the definition by dictionary, not by today's yeah. terms, because you know. I mean, because Bruce Wayne, he really is a a rich guy who doesn't spend his like he tries to spend his money on Gotham City, and it never seems to work out. I mean, he. So I guess you can say that Bruce Wayne is attempting to be kind of a a, a, a charitable guy, but inevitably in the comics they always talk about how his attempts to be charitable don't work out, so he's just got to go back out on the street and punch people. <laughs> well, right? but is it, yeah, but that's, I think, the classic dichotomy of the reality of the world of, and, and in fact, and I always loved when Rucka was uh, talking about Batman, he would say this, that's the tragedy of Batman. Yeah. His intent is to save everyone knowing that he's going to fail every night, and yet he goes back out every night and tries to save people. So there's that. And also in terms of from the, the Wayne Foundation side, man, I, and I don't mean this for this to get so highfalutin, but you could look at things like what Lyndon Johnson tried to do in the 60s with the Great Society mm-hmm. and all the social programs that were meant to rid the country of its ills. And the reality is these problems are huge and maybe too big for anyone to truly solve. Yeah. And, it's, and again, it's, it's sad. It's, so it's kind of tragic. But I think you know, we try and you try to do your best. You know, they could make it better. They could tie that into the character. It's like everybody's always, whenever you try to make a hero have a failing, everybody goes, whoa, whoa, we can't be like, no, it's not interesting unless they have a failing. But it would be really easy to just simply say Bruce Wayne uh, isn't very good at doing philanthropy and stuff like that because his parents weren't there to show him how to do that sort of thing. Well, because And all so, he knows how to do is act out and punch things. He's Why so angry, too. That's what it is, right? I mean, ultimately, I think Batman is more a right-wing character because he's reactionary. He's angry. Superman is more of a left-wing character because he was raised to be kind and charitable by his parents, mm-hmm. right? You know, I and to be honest, to get it back to the movie, and I find the trailer interesting, and I look forward to see how they're going to position Lex Luthor there's a real opportunity for Lex Luthor in the way that Jeff Johns recreated the character and at least his public persona is, hey, I am of Earth. I am one of you. How do we trust this alien? You see the deviousness in the trailer, and I really think that was a missed opportunity to keep it in the trailer and not make Lex Luthor just more of a, hey, this guy supposedly is saving us. Look at all the damage that happened in Metropolis because of Man of Steel. Um, and that you could really make a legitimate argument of have a xenophobic kind of thing of we really don't know this guy's motivations. I'm sure that's what will motivate Ben Affleck's Batman to act as well. But I mean, that's the thing. It's I, I don't. I think you could have 
presented a, a slightly more sympathetic and less hand-wringing, devious, mustache-twirling Lex Luthor in the movie, and I think it would have made for a much more interesting comparison and, and question. Because the best villains, just like the best uh, heroes have their, their flaws, the best villains are the sympathetic ones, like the way Michael Rosenblum played uh, Lex Luthor in Smallville, where you get Luthor, and it's like, oh... If only I'd had a beer with Lex Luthor and explained it, he'd be a much nicer guy. And he just needs a good friend. And he's really trying to make friends. And, you know, unfortunately, people like Jonathan Kent, well, he's a Luther, you can't trust him. And so, yeah, if you hear that the rest of your life, it's like, well, fine, screw you people. I'm going to do my own thing. My so, favorite you know, version of that character uh, was always the Elliot S. Mag and Gary Conway. It's Gary Conway, I think. Jerry Conway, Jerry, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, in the late 70s, where he's completely sympathetic. I mean, Lex Luthor is, like, a very, very sympathetic character who, like, has faults, but, like, is one inch away from being, like, a superhero. And, he, and it's his ego. He would be the most special person on the planet if Superman didn't exist, and that kind of... He probably would have found something else, though. Yeah. No. But, yeah. You know, I don't know if you guys know, look for it on eBay or Amazon and look for it in used bookstores. Elliot Magan wrote a great Superman novel around the time of the two movie. Of them, two. He did write two. I prefer I prefer the second one to the first the Lex or the first one to the second. Last Son of Krypton, where there's a great scene with Lex Luthor and Superman where Lex they have to work together. And the cool thing is, especially if you know your pre crisis classic continuity of Superboy, Superboy made me bald, and that's why I hate Superboy. I think that's what the movie actually is. I think it's like during the big fight in Man of Steel that Lex's hair got well, that, yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's interesting, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize <laughs> no, that. I, but, but, but I like it. But <laughs> Mag- it's just what I want. <laughs> but Magan and Conway, it wasn't the hair. It was he had oh, created no. life. Like Lex Luthor had created life right. in the lab, and when Superboy uses super breath to put out the fire. It kills it. It kills the. So his hair falling out is is it's a secondary thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But in Miracle Monday, which I think is the better book, uh, there's a fantastic scene where Superman is talking to somebody from the future, and the person at the end reveals to them Kristen Wells, later to be Superwoman for one whole issue. I really wanted to put her in Superman, but they wouldn't let me. Superwoman, yeah. Um, I'm, we had made up a new Superwoman. Um, okay. But he asks, he, she, she'll let him ask one question about his future, about his own Superman's future. And he says, will Lex and I ever be friends again? And it's just awesome. Like, oh, so that's the one the thing he wants to know. He, yeah. Well, that's, and that, or that moment in Kingdom Come when they're in Planet Krypton, the, the Planet Hollywood restaurant, and, uh, and they're all talking, and Batman go, or Superman goes, how's, Bat, or how's Lex doing to Batman? And he said, oh, I, tried to, I caught him a few times trying to break into the Batcave computer, but I, uh, but I stopped. And he goes, he sends his best, though. And Bad Ben Superman's like, really? And Batman's like, no. <laughs> you know, and it's like, of course not. And, and that's the sad thing. Superman always hopes and tries to see the good in people. And Batman is the realist who's like, yeah, no, sorry, man. It does. And again, that's why the relationship is so interesting. This, 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 feels like, this, this feels like a crass plug, but I wrote a whole book that's just about this. I filed the, super, the the serial numbers off and made new characters just to examine that relationship. Awesome. Edison Rex. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edison Rex, basically the Lex Luthor character, wins and has to well, of course, prove yeah. that he's the good guy after this, after the superhero is gone. I th- I, and I thought you meant Bruce and, uh, Bruce and uh, Clark, but you mean Lexi Clark, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, that's a great, yeah, it's Monkey Brain, a uh, great, great series that uh, Chris did. 
and uh, we're yeah. still doing. There's, there's, there'll be it's just year a year between every issue. Now. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. Well, no, I understand. But yeah. Elliot, there's quotes from Elliot S. Magan on the back of the first train. So awesome. And Mark Wade. So and guys, I want to I want to get everyone back to because we mentioned Kurt Swan, who to me is always the definitive Superman artist and stuff. But uh, all right, so uh, you know, let's Ray. Like, who's your, who's your definitive uh, Superman or Batman artist if you have one? Um, well, my definitive Superman artist, whoever it used to be, was displaced by Frank Quitely. <laughs> that's cool. All-Star Superman. That's cool. To me, that's I've never seen to me a more perfect expression of Superman. Yeah. And to and to be able to make Clark and Superman different people, yeah. and deal with that giant physicality and yeah. stuff, and yet they do look different. Exactly. So, yeah. And then to me, I think the the person who, in my mind, has best captured Batman ever is David Mazzucchelli. I, uh, I got no complaints. complaints. Yeah. yeah, I think we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Because I mean, I, I guess growing up as a Neil Adams kid, I mean, and I love, I love what Mazzucchelli Kelly did, and also like over the decades, you know, fifties, Dick Sprang. Yeah, yeah. There was nobody yeah. better. And uh, so, anyone want to like, you know, and uh, guys, I mean, do you have other Batman artists or Superman artists that you want to acknowledge? Or? That's, I mean, I, I could talk, for, and I have, please, uh, for ages about <laughs> my interpretation of Batman and means. where it comes from, and um, yeah, well, that's what I was kind of what, I, with, what yeah. I dig on, but um. You're right. Like Mazzucchelli Kelly brings it all together and does everything the best. But I grew up with Neil Adams, and that informs a lot of what I dig about Batman. But um, for me, uh, there's never enough like mystery of the, the, the mythological kind of shape, the, the guy in the shadows. Um, it's very much a man in a costume, and when he does it, it's awesome. But it. it if I was writing a Batman story, I wouldn't want Neil Adams to draw it because I would be writing a lot of scenes where it's just spooky. And I don't think Neil Adams is going to bring that spooky, going to bring the mood to it. Mazza Kelly does the man, but then he can also shift and give you the myth. The myth, the yeah. shadow. The shadow. Yeah. So yeah. would a Marshall Rogers uh, be one of your guys? Or? Yeah, I love Sure. Marshall. I love Apero, obviously. I mean, there's tons of great ones. Yeah, Apero less so, just because of because um, I read to the end of his work in the '80s, and um, I hate, when I was a kid, I hated Apero. Interesting. It's I, because like, I really did. But but I, when I got he was old, older, yeah, he yeah. Was I was older. gonna say it's kind of like yeah. people who caught Kirby in the '80s. But we were like, yeah. I, I was, I don't that. know, I was like, you know, twelve and yeah. reading that and seeing that it wasn't as good. And not sympathetic that this is an older guy. I didn't know till later that he was an older guy. But oh yeah, yeah. this Jim Aparo stuff just you know good. One of the few times I've heard, and no offense to Neil Adams, but that I heard him get humble because I one of my first word balloon interviews with him, I talked about the fact that when Neil came, the drastic change of the look of Batman really made all the DC editors make Bob Brown and all these other artists ape the Neil Adams Batman style, Mm. and I included Jim Aparo on that. And Neil's the first one to say, well, you know something? Uh, Jim did his own Batman. And he was very kind of respective uh, to Jim, which I thought was cool. And one of the great things about Apparel before he passed away was him at uh, San Diego. Because he hadn't really experienced the convention you know, experience. And to have a whole giant room full of people give him a standing ovation. And it really touched him. Wow. And that's kind of neat that before he passed, he saw really tangibly how uh, you know people really loved his work and stuff. But I'm interested in the... The Silver Age Superman, because I understand there are the Wayne Boring fans and the Kurt Swan fans, and I and I like Wayne Boring and I respect him and he's a great artist. But I got to be honest, man, I, it never worked for me. It never worked for me. No, either. it's always too stiff. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I mean, I kind of he's always looking up. That and also it's that fifties kind of build. <laughs> he's barrel chest. That that everyone was just kind of overweight and boxy. 
And yeah, yeah, it just looked like you know a bunch of Fred Mertzes in, in uh, superhero. I like that though. So Superman should look like your dad. I agree with that. <laughs> I think Kurt Swan's look maybe your cool uncle. I guess. Yeah, I thought. Well, especially like in the seventies, I yeah. thought it. And, and it's funny how they purposely, when John Byrne took over as Superman, they said they kind of wanted Superman to look like he was twenty eight or twenty nine. And I know currently Superman, they want him to be like twenty two, maybe twenty four. Yeah, that doesn't he look looks like a teenager. Yeah, yeah, well, and we'll, we'll get into that if we want. But but no, I agree with you that. And I always felt that Kurt did kind of give us a fatherly looking forty year old. Yeah, he, Superman. Should, he should look like he's in his forties. I, I he like at least yeah. yeah at least, I yeah. I totally agree. And he's well being the first hero, yeah. and kind of has that kind of gravitas to him yeah, and everything. Yeah. You know, so, we should, what we should bring up like. A, when we're talking about all this stuff, if we're talking about sort of iconic versions of these characters. Style Guide, man. Oh, the, yeah. Jose, Jose Luis, Luis Garcia Lopez. Lopez. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those versions, like every one of those characters when we were growing up, like those are the versions that were on my bed sheets. Yeah. Those right the, now, yeah. you can Everywhere. get them all on t-shirts at Target. Yeah, yeah. yeah isn't that funny that the retro shirts now? Yeah. And also, I'm sure you guys great. I'm sure you guys know on social media, and I don't know which website like found the DC Style Guide from 1982. The Garcia Lopez Facebook page posted it all. It's it's and beautiful Batgirl stuff, man. Yep. Come it's, on. it's the definitive versions of all those characters. Of all, the yeah. entire Not DC Supergirl. Yeah. <laughs> so, Supergirl had, had like an headband. 80s like flash dance yeah. 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 And hey, stuff. By all means, folks, if you, if you have questions and, and stuff, start like I've got one more to line up because we look. Yeah, please. Which is because the, the character's not really been mentioned, but um, the defi- like Swan is the definitive Superman in my head. But Superboy is Kurt Schaffenberger. I love like, Kurt Schaffenberger was the definitive Superboy yes. artist. Yeah. And that run that he and Conway did, the the New Adventures of Superboy in 1981, the first like 20 issues of that or so Beautiful. are like the apotheosis of the Silver Age, the Bronze Age Superman. I agree. It is everything awesome about Absolutely. the Julius Schwartz era Superman right before it all kind of falls apart. I loved uh, the, seri- the ser- series that was in, mis- in Superman Family, Mr. and Mrs. Superman, which was the Golden Age Superman yeah. and Lois married. And it's funny that coming in November, we are going to get the couple back in a new book that Dan Jurgens is writing, and I forget who the artist is, but I'm psyched, and, I, and I'm really interested in seeing that, because that was one of the great losses that I think that happened in the new 52, yeah. was the loss of Superman and Lois, because... Hey, man, I'm a Lois Lane fan as well. The reason why Superman loves Lois Lane or loved her in previous continuities is because she is like the most capable woman that he has ever met. How could he not love her? I mean, that that is and, – and she is. And in the right hands, Lois is very capable of saving herself, is not a damsel in distress. And, and I really think since the 70s especially – in the Julie Schwartz and post era, that, they tried to make that kind of positive character, and also showed that a couple can be together and be interesting. And and it really was it was you know disappointing that they decided that the marriage had to go away. And I disagreed with the people who said, well, that puts them in a box. And it's like the the, the, for sta- you? the statement that uh, characters being married therefore doesn't generate drama. Right. Clearly, as someone who's not married, <laughs> uh, well, I think I, I think what. The, what they should have said, which is what they were really getting at, is characters being married doesn't generate sales, which is, I, yeah. It, yeah. it's actually true. It, but has that been proven apparently. in the case of Superman? Well, I, I think if he can't date a mermaid, though, that you're, you've got some <laughs> stuff off the table. That's <laughs> true. I like Laurie Lamaris. I miss Laurie Oh, I, Yeah, as a kid, I was like, good, finally he's going to see Or Sally Llewellyn. The, when he when Clark Kent had amnesia and he, meet, he meets the blonde woman in the farm and everything and, and falls in love. 
So, all right, that's like way old and stuff, but yeah, you'll forgive me. So, yeah, no, come on up, man. I think we got a fashion show going on here. Let's talk about this T-shirt. Oh, that's yeah. That's an awesome T-shirt. Well done. Babs Tar representation at the show. Babs will be listening to this podcast. Everybody say hi. Hooray. Is the mic on, man? See if there's like a power switch on there or whatever. And if not, just speak up a little bit for us. There you go. There go. Yeah, speak up a little um, I was curious. Uh, I come late, so if you already answered this, I'm sorry. No, go. Um, my biggest concern with the new movie, and uh, are they going to make a dumbed-down Batman? Do you think... What the is previous dumb, what is dumbed down yeah tell us uh in every movie up till ever of a batman he's been having somebody else do all his sciencey stuff he's mm. not the smartest guy in the room interesting and well that's true i, I think lucius fox was kind of the tech guy yeah and i think the only tech thing you ever saw was maybe michael keaton staring at a bunch of 80s computer screens and not really doing anything but if i uh, have to guess I, like I haven't seen the movie or anything, but if I have to guess, I think they're going to continue that tradition because Hollywood producers don't like nerds. Well, that's <laughs> which is which is ironic though, because like that's what the Iron Man movies are. Yeah, the Iron yeah, Man yeah. movies like it's all science. always have huge scenes of like a guy just in a room thinking. But like all yeah. the movies, every yeah, like it's always Batman's just punching people yeah. usually. Yeah, I don't know how married they are to the Nolan uh, concept though, and especially now that they are trying to make a connected cinematic universe. It, I guess it depends on if the, is there a Lucius Fox in the new movie? Uh, and we might I don't know maybe we'll get a scene of him trying to figure out how to make kryptonite or something. Well, the, and know, that's kind of like, well, that's like the thing. Flasks. How much are they going to lean on to? Uh, I heard about Miller's, his son cameo. What's that? The the, the boy um, Fox's son in the comic book. Uh, oh, Luke Fox. Luke. Luke. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, bat, yeah, Batman. Yeah, I, I I heard somewhere that he's. In a cameo in the movie. Oh, interesting. Oh, really? oh, that's so cool. I, say, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I mean, Lucius can still be his Wayne Foundation connection without being his tech guy. True. Yeah. So I don't know, but you're right. And I, I just kind of feel like if, you know, DC is really kind of getting more control of the movie and television franchises. And successfully, I have to acknowledge because. God, Flash and Arrow are wonderful. And man, I'm, they're just my kid and I are so excited about the Supergirl. Supergirl yeah. And oh my God, yeah. I have an 11 year old daughter, and she likes she like, kind of likes Flash. She prefers iZombie because iZombie's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, we very natural. Yeah, she, you, guys, you guys all know, obviously, Chris and iZombie. Yeah, yeah, it's right, cool. cool. So, um, tomorrow about that. A How do you feel oh, about the show having absolutely nothing to do with the great book? The I like them both. Uh, the, the answer that I always give, first, I love the show. I think it's fantastic. Um, and But I think that there is clear precedence in comics. Uh, I, wrote, I made up Jay Garrick, and then somebody else came along and did a Barry Allen. So it's the same name, same basic concept, but with a different character and explanation. But I think that they capture the tone of our comic a lot. Like, it feels like our thing. And I think that they, the characters occupy really similar ecological niches. Like, they relate to each other in similar ways. Um, yeah, I just like it. I think, honestly, the answer that I usually give is that if they had made a faithful adaptation of my comic, it would have been a well-beloved cult favorite that would have been canceled inside of, like, ten episodes. Um, and this, they've made a thing that's going to last for a long time. But also, I'm excited about Supergirl. So. <laughs> yeah, back to Super. I mean, yeah. God, you know, and, and it's funny... Uh, Batman versus Superman, Thank when you. you think about Thanks. it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the question. Um, I saw the full pilot, and i got to tell you, I mean, we've all seen the six minutes online, but I saw the full pilot. It is amazing, and little girls are going to be very inspired. When, when, when my, my kid just thought it was a movie, right? 
And uh, she'd seen the six minutes and got really excited. And it was a while later we saw a little more footage. And it said, coming this fall and I was, to, to CBS or whatever. And she's like, what? It's a show? And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be on every week. And she was like, no way. Yeah, she actually swear. Yeah. About it. <laughs> yeah. And I can't believe that CBS decided, or, you know, decided to put it against Gotham because... It's a different audience. It, well, we'll see. I, I appreciate that. I think it will take Gotham viewers away. I mean, certainly in the land of DVRs, yeah, they not as DVR. much of a problem. But I don't know from an advertiser standpoint if that's truly sunk in. I know that DVRs count and advertisers get that. But it's still that first run is still very important to advertisers. And when both shows are going to be opposite each other... I got to tell you, man, do you want to watch 11-year-old Bruce Wayne, or Bruce Wayne scratch his nose and kind of look like Batman? Or do you want to watch Supergirl now, <laughs> being Supergirl? Laser-eyeing Within people. the first 10 minutes, acting like Supergirl, within there's the just, first half hour, wearing the costume. I think there's just too many comic book shows. Because, like, I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I have to wait until after I watch iZombie to watch I it. I understand. at the same time. No, man. I, I, well, and that I see as different audiences, more so than... No, the, I'm the audience gonna, for both of them. I well, like them and both. I get that too. No, dude, I'm with you and everything. And, and again, I time shift all the time with a lot of my programs. But I just know, coming from broadcasting, a broadcast background, that advertisers are, were the last ones to understand that it's okay if they watch it two days later. And it's like, no, it's not. And we've got the money. So... I imagine that one of those shows will move. I think that you know, and this is this is a com- this is a complete tangent. But I suspect that in time, the time shifting thing is actually going to help because, like, if I like if I DVR something, I'm fast forwarding through those damn commercials. If I watch it on Hulu, I have to watch the commercials or on demand on your yeah. cable system or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I have to see them. Yes. So I think th- that I think will probably end up being more attractive to advertisers. I agree, but it's just it's slow, and also I think networks will. Adjust, and I, that's the thing. I don't think Gotham will be canceled or anything like that. But I agree with you. I'm I'm very high on what they've shown us. And really, without spoiling anything, people who love the Superman mythos are really going to be happy because they get into good Kryptonian stuff that is like all Easter eggs. If we're longtime readers or watchers, and I'm sure you you guys have all seen those photos of her with the Girl Scouts and the puppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh my God, yeah. are you kidding I think, me? Uh, I think when Absolutely. that show is huge, it's going to be fun to watch people performing acrobatics to try and continue to deny that girls like superheroes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I I totally agree. And that's you know yeah I, I you know I I I hope I mean you guys are you guys are working on how's Canary doing actually? Uh, uh, sales wise, yeah. <laughs> Uh, everything's a little shifty, I mean, in my opinion, sales-wise, since um, the DCU launch. And I think yes. that's been uh, something that everybody's been talking about lately. Numbers are not what we would like them to be. So, yeah, like my first issue of Black Canary sold less than my first issue of Gotham Academy in October. Gotham Academy is a completely unknown quantity. So, I mean, numbers are below where I think we'd all like them to be right now. In terms of uh, critical response, doing super well. Oh, yeah. No, it's beautiful. I can't and keep it's... them on my table down here. Um, Excellent. So people are really excited about it. Cool. It's a different take. I understand it's not for everybody. But well, it's like... The, the word came, the, the, and, I, and I understand it's a rumor and you don't have to acknowledge it or not, but that, that the, D, the DC editors told their writers, stop Batgirling everything. No, that's no, not true. No, and, no, and, no, and, no, yeah, I'm good. I'm glad that's not true because... Honestly, again, really led by Batgirl, and I would say Black Canary is another positive example of that. You guys are really, you know, making interesting, relevant comics 
that I think will talk to this current audience. Yeah, and that's, I that's also think goal. there's a... Yeah. If anything, like nothing's, nothing along those lines has actually been said to me, but if anything, they, they would, you know, Batgirl is one of the success stories of like the DC verb, Comics right now, so you'd that think that they would... Yeah. was on Bleeding Cool. <laughs> no, hey, hey. That's all you had? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like no. the verb, though. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, yeah just the yeah, idea is not like Batgirling. Bat yeah, and it's yeah. like, no, I would say more Batgirling, please. Or yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I, I think, I think if, if DC really wanted to take advantage of this situation, they would start a line of apparel that was about Batgirling. Right? Okay. <laughs> well, there is, isn't there, well, that's different. There's, they're, they're launching, there's a whole new thing, the superhero, superheroine line. Yeah, they're superhero doing. girls. Yeah. Different All lines, good. Because yeah. I'm telling you, companies like Her Universe and all these companies that are really taking advantage of that vacuum that was there, yeah. mm-hmm. congratulations. It's, it's this whole like, cross-market thing that Warner is doing. And it's going to be like toys and apparel. And they've, they've partnered, I think, with like Mattel and Lego and stuff <laughs> to do things. So. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Very, yeah, it's very great. Cool. It was great for us because when they showed the designs, um, Batgirl had yellow docks on, so yeah. it was like, um, <laughs> "All right, well, this I guess you this is something totally we've done that's going to stick." From Doc Martens, because I know that the sales for those things went to the freaking roof. Well, and, uh, things were there was there was. We probably didn't say anything. <laughs> there were some official yeah. things happening about a year ago, and then yeah, nothing's did, happening. Yeah, it didn't happen. But, but it had nothing to do with us. It was just the companies were. Yeah, yeah. As, as, and I'll ask for a final call of questions, but also I just want to go around the horn and give you guys the opportunity to tease anything that you want in terms of what's coming up, either with your Bat-related or Superman-related properties or also any, any other projects that you want to mention for the purposes of not only the room, Uh-oh. but the thousands of words listeners. Question. But Question. we'll go to the That's question first. But so Trouble. think of that as we're yeah. answering a couple more questions. Go ahead. Hi. Actually, this is for the Batman. Bad the Batman. Yeah. The Canadians. So, <laughs> He's a Batman as well. Go on. So, spoiler for anybody not reading the comics, but Bruce Wayne isn't Batman right now. Yep. Uh, Wait, and what? I know, I know. That's Everybody leave the room if you don't want to hear about this. Um, but for some of the Bat family books, especially for Gotham Academy, Bruce kept showing up and actually had things to do in it. So when... Snyder told you guys that Bruce wasn't going to be Batman anymore. How did that change what you guys were going to do? We could we could reveal well, the status quo, can't we? In I terms mean, it, of, I think it's been like three months. You know, so. he's, Bruce Wayne has lost has had his memory completely wiped and doesn't really want to go back to his old self, at least in his current state. So someone else is Batman, and it's Jim Gordon as I mean, it's pretty much out there. Well, we so have, like, yeah, we how all, does that impact you guys? I mean, it it, it impacted us on on different levels in different books we all have batman showing up once in a while and we also all had jim gordon showing up once in a while so i mean it actually had a huge impact on gotham by midnight because jim gordon was no longer commissioner right and so his relationship to the cops changed completely but i I can tell you that it wasn't a shock to any of us scott talked to all of us (coughs) before it happened and he actually said that if any single one of us writing these other books raised a problem with it he wasn't going to do it um, so yeah, he was really gracious about it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So it wasn't. Was, it wasn't like a bomb drop. Like. Yeah. It was, like and it was a conversation. Yeah. It was a and, conversation. And was it more of a story opportunity for you guys? For as us, well? it was because because it's, it's Gordon's yeah. dad. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So now, yeah, exactly. Barbara's dad is now Batman. Yeah. Now, but it I, did. I, it did change our plans. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. If I had to guess, though, I would say that Bruce Wayne is probably going to be Batman again someday. <laughs> what? <laughs> <Yeah>. Probably. <laughs> 
Be safe guess. But I will, I will say this. Um, I think you will, uh, if anybody's reading these books, you know that we did a couple of issues with uh, the Jim Gordon Batman and Batgirl, because how could we not? It's a... It's an elephant in the room. It's yeah, sure. got to play with it at least. Yeah. and have, we, we tried to play with it and have some fun for a couple issues. Um, but um, Batman, or the myth of Batman, the image of Batman, plays, plays a part of Gotham Academy. It's this old boarding school on the fringes of Gotham City. And, and you should see this shadowy gargoyle kind of lurking around, and he should play a part in the kids' lives. And we just decided for our second arc while while Bruce isn't Batman, that um, Batman wouldn't appear. Because we don't want a robo-Batman in the book because tonally it just doesn't fit. Sure. Like, we even don't... We rarely have the kids with cell phones because it's always... It's, again, tonally strange because the book is is tonally like Harry Potter. And if you see the Harry Potter kids in Hogwarts using iPads, it's going to feel like a juxtaposition of, of... shit that doesn't go together. It's sure. funny you um, say that, though, because I was able to jump on something for a tonal thing with, with, the, with the robotic Batman suit. Um, I have a scene coming up in Gotham by Midnight that involves a lot of riot cops fighting something, mm-hmm. and I would not have put Batman in that scene as, as you know, the shadowy Batman, you know, helping riot cops, but it was easy for me to put this big robot suit, you know, firing tear gas canisters together with the cops. So, I mean, every every sort of narrative problem becomes an opportunity as well. It's true. And with Batgirl, again, it's not just that it's Jim Gordon in the Batman suit. It's a, a suit that's... It's a robot suit, and we're dealing with uh, story elements and themes that are heavily based in technology. Uh, yeah, like a robot suit marked with police markings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think... I, I Honestly, I appreciate the change because it does... It's always interesting if there's a, a, a disruption to the status quo, and how does this impact everybody? So, you know, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a good opportunity. And also, I think Scott and company have, and Greg have shown that, you know, they're good caretakers of the main book. And I think, you know, I, I, I got no problem with it myself. And, I, and it's cool to hear how you guys all react and, again, see it as much of an opportunity as, all right, we're going to have to deal with this. What yeah. can we do? They've, they've been really good with us, even with, like, the crossovers, like the Joker Endgame thing or whatever. Like, they, uh-huh. they came to us specifically with Batgirl and Gotham Academy, and they were like, if you don't want to participate in this, you, you don't have to, which was great. That was really cool. And they were like, if you think that you can incorporate it in a way that's going to feel fun to you and you can make a good story out of it, then by all means. But don't feel pressured to take part in this big crossover that might not work with you. That's awesome. And that was amazing. Like, we were, yeah. we were really, rather than going like, no, you have to do this, they were like, do it if you want. And, we, and we, you know, we came up with ideas for, for both. That that's worked. a very so, positive yeah. sea change given yeah. the years of frustration I had heard yeah. when, sorry kids, it's a five week, you know, it's the fifth week crossover event, you're going to yeah. have to put your story on hold and, you know, deal with the uh, schmuck of the month. Yeah. And it's the same so. with Robin War coming up in uh, December. Um, yeah, that's right. Robin Academy Hall. is doing a tie-in, but that was an option. We didn't have to do it. But oh, there's um, a so. really fun little story that we can do, and it fits perfectly between a couple of arcs. Miss, come on up, and I want to give you a, a coin for the question. And also, Bat- Batman T-shirt or Batgirl T-shirt, come on up, and I'll give you a coin for the question. Nice guy. John, I think we're out of time. Oh yeah, no, you know, there's no because there's really nothing like waiting right at one or whatever. So yeah, we can wrap up and still get a person's question. Oh good. That's the flexibility flexibility of Cincy Comic Con. Right. So, but I do want these guys too to get back to the, the floor. But yeah, you know, so please. Um, actually, we're gonna have a question for y'all. Mentioned about the Batgirl comment, and did y'all say was not you know 
not true. But it did, you all did also acknowledge a drop in sales after the relaunch that seemed to coincide with a change in styles and getting away from pretty much every major character went different status quo. I myself, gigantic Green Lantern fan, and I just couldn't get into what, what was done. I love Dr. Fate, almost my thing on him, but it was so different. You feel like you're not even reading the same characters. Uh, and I guess what I'm saying is, is there a balance there to, to try to, I know everybody want to be creative and try to find new things, but it, do you have to at some point say, this is not even the same character, that, and I'm, of course, would be representing an older fan, and I know they're trying to get the younger fans. So is there a balance there of, you know, would you, I guess would you say that that might be responsible for some of the drop for one? I'm going to say, uh, sorry, go I'm ahead. I'm sorry, and the other question was, do you think there ought to be some type of, uh, maybe some type, since there's multiple worlds now, to a world that would somehow try to go back and please the older fans with more classic ones while, you know, and, and they act like they can't do that, like they can't be multiple places at the same time, and they, they act like it would confuse the audience, when in reality they got they go ahead and do these other worlds anyway. So I don't understand why they wouldn't try to put different lines out there and let people choose. But I guess a two-part question, do you think that line would work? But the other thing, do you think that a lot of these radical changes in all these characters, including the Batman to Jim Gordon and some of the other stuff, the Superman, Green Lantern, was that any responsible, do you think, for the drop in sales the drop in the last sales. year? Well, well, I don't, I don't work there any, I don't work there anymore, so I can speak a little freely. Oh. Um, <laughs> oh, God, but I want to know, I want to hear, yeah, everybody, go ahead. I, I, I think there's, there's a couple different things there, because the one, like the, the Jim Gordon thing, those, those are story-driven ideas, right? So those, those are creators doing things with stories, mm-hmm. which may or may not work, you know, but, but that's, that's just what they do. And the other thing are like top-down editorial directives from an executive level, and they, all the companies do that. And the problem is they'll they'll do their, they're trying to increase sales because really, comic sales have been falling at a fairly steady rate since the 1940s. Mainstream comic sales. Well, yeah, yes. but I mean in yes. general. I mean, like if you're talking about the the the, the saddle stitch 22 page thing. Yeah, but indie comics have been selling like crazy in the last few years compared to. How but they used to but be. not compared to the 40s. Is my when they sold millions and well, they were 10 yeah, cents. And there, yeah, there were yeah. no well, I mean, indie if comics. You, if you draw a graph right. out that goes over yeah, yeah. 70 decades, sure, sure, seven decades, um, and uh, there's a, a much longer answer having to do with the death of the newsstand in the 70s and the creation of the direct market. But really, they've all just been trying to stem the flow since then. So all these decisions that are made are by large corporations trying to shore up a business model that doesn't really work the way it used to anymore. Um, because unfortunately, I, I prefer the older versions. I like, not that I dislike them, but I like, I like the older Superman. I like older Superman. Um, and I wasn't including them in mine. Like no, them, no, that, no. We, I, 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 them in that, I'm sure a bunch of the people in this room know exactly what you're talking yeah, about, yeah. man, and it's a legitimate question. So, yeah, we saw you looking at us. No, no. <laughs> so, so Ray, what would yeah? Well, I was just, I was just going to say that I, I, I often say this at shows um, when placed in front of fans, and, and they talk about how different the books are and 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 whether the books are doing well or not. And um, in the last few months, really. DC has offered a lot of the writers and artists working for them pretty much what's for most of us an unprecedented opportunity to be creative and to do all kinds of different things. And um, those books will live or die based on the support of the readers. So ultimately, you guys are the ones speaking. If, if enough of you are buying the books, the books will continue. If there's something you don't like, don't buy it. They'll change. Exactly. Uh, they're scared of losing your money. And they will take another creative team or the same creators and offer them the chance to change things up. But what I, 
what I urge you to do is if you see something DC's doing that's maybe different from the norm and you love it, buy it and get other people to buy it too because that's the only way they're going to continue. Um, Chris is right. These are big companies and they think in terms of money and they usually run scared when money starts to diminish, right? When sales drop and they will, they will yank a title even if it's great, even if people really talk about how good it is because it's not selling well enough and there's nothing we as creators can do about that. And there really is no way to argue that point with the companies either because the companies are thinking in terms of money. Right? So it's not something I would blame them for, but it's something where, you know, if, if we are trying to create books that we hope you will love, you can speak to us directly or you can speak to us in terms of money. And, you know, obviously... Oh, we'll also take money. Yeah, but, <laughs> but none, of us, none of us want to create a book that nobody likes, but it doesn't mean that we're always going to know what everybody likes. So we're going to take a shot, we try it, and if you support it, it'll do fine, and we'll be happy about that. If you don't like it, don't support it, something else will come. Yeah. That's not to say the books are bad, even. Of course not. Uh, no. it's, it's to of course say not. that, in, in, from a comic buyer who used to buy 20 in a you know, rough, rougher economy, books going up, you're, I mean, it's not even that you're, you're hating them. You would, you would maybe go get them from the library or some point down the road, but you can't afford, uh, you know, and, and so you have to be really compelled to pick something up. And so when everything changes, you're like, wow, this is a jump-off point. I think that, I feel like I think that because I, I feel like part of it is for the longest time, everything that DC and Marvel did was aimed directly at me, right? And so it felt like I could just go and I would buy virtually everything because I had a lot of disposable income. I didn't have a kid yet. And over time, as they have started, I think, with the best of intentions, to aim books at more different kinds of people or people that like different things, there's less that's aimed directly at me. Um, and that just kind of happens. So, yeah. Well, and I'm not worried. Like I said, I don't, that I don't mind per se. But what, I guess my, my two questions were, do you think that was responsible for the drop in sales? One... And secondly, would they benefit from an, uh, a line that would go a bit I don't retro? think it's solely responsible for the sales. I think the hype machine wasn't in place oh. after the move. Well, I also, I also think that we are in the midst of a huge comic market sea change that Ray kind of acknowledged yeah, when, yeah. when addressing when Chris said that sales are down compared to the 40s. Independent books are on the rise. And what would be perceived as a failure at Marvel and DC when a book only sells 15,000 copies is a massive success for creator-owned books. And that is a reality that both corporations have to deal with, and there might be a new normal. And what was perceived as the former make-or-break line of a book continuing might have to drop. And another thing... And I'm not exactly sure when this will happen, but both companies are flirting with the idea of a $4.99 monthly comic. Good luck would be my response to, to drop that bomb right. Well, but it, it's sad but true, and and I mean honestly, I've, I've well, that's because these companies are staffed up the way they yes. were when they were a mass medium on newsstands. Um, I think what could happen, like ultimately, is. These companies could continue to publish stuff, but they might license those characters off to other people who might do something more like what you're talking about. Yeah, we, we, you know, we because were, the, you know, Marvel Marvel's owned by Disney now, and Disney has a long history of licensing their stuff out to other people. And I think uh, DC has done a little bit of it recently, where they've licensed some of these characters out, particularly for like young reader stuff. Um, so it wouldn't be impossible that 
DC Publishing would do their version of things, and they might license off to somebody else to do some other version of it. That'd be a good idea. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> the no, and I and that's why I think it's going to be very interesting to see the next twelve months to five years, and we might see a very different comic market. Sure. And could we could see a, an IDW publishing Superman? Or something, or you know, we could see, you know, yeah, or because or or that they realize and, and that digital becomes the monthly, and, and yeah, they so wait for the trade, and the prices stays uh, static. Because really, the thing is that right now, DC doesn't have any interest in going backwards and doing the way that those versions of the characters they used to do, or even in many cases collecting and publishing those versions of the characters, right? But IDW, for example, has a vested interest in serving that market, and so you can buy those great old collections of the the newspaper strips and stuff like that. Yep. Um, So it's already kind of happening. Sure. Um, That'd be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Grab a chip, dude. So, um, yeah, guys, as we wrap up, uh, I don't know if you want to tease anything that's coming up and uh, whatever. Well, I don't write any of these characters anymore. I'm writing, I understand that. I'm writing uh, Hellboy in the BPRD um, with the fabulous Mike Mignola um, over at Dark Horse and a bunch of other Mignola books that haven't been announced yet. And Chris is going to have a solo panel tomorrow. It's in the program is Colin Bunn, and Colin couldn't make it to the con. And I suggested, well, let's talk to Chris uh, solo. So we're going to have that talk uh, tomorrow afternoon if you guys are here for the full weekend. Or I can just talk about Colin Bunn's work. That's true, too. Yeah. I've uh, still got Justice League United for a moment <laughs> coming out, and uh, we've got Batgirl temporarily uh, appearing in it. Thanks for l- lending us a cup of Batgirl, and she meets Sergeant Rock and stuff, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and Enemy Ace. And um, also, Batman 66 is uh, going to team up with the man from Uncle. No just, shit. Yeah, so. That's hilarious. Yeah, they just announced that, so. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah we're going to do that. So go go watch the Henry Cavill movie where Henry Cavill is very charming. Or will it look and, like uh, Henry Cavill and uh, what's his face, or will it look uh, like uh, probably not David McCallum and uh, Rob somewhere Martin. in between them, like some kind of weird morph version. So is, is Get Smart next? I, uh, as you I work your way, I through. wish. The, Would uh, you believe? The uh, no greeting. Yeah, and all I hope for the movie is I don't greeting. care. <laughs> I don't care if they hate each other. I just want the blue color grading to go away. That's all I care about. <laughs> what do you go ahead? <laughs> what are you working on? You don't, you don't no, want you people don't. to care what you're doing? No, I just I figured you want to talk about Batgirl first. So, uh, okay, I'll talk about the other non-Batgirl things that I'm doing. Okay. Gotham Academy, we got Robin War coming up. We're wrapping up the, uh, the, the second story arc uh, in November. And um, we're doing things that are a little darker than you've probably seen in our book before. Um, but it's still going to be fun. And uh, and then into Robin War, it's just like off the chain crazy. Um, again, it's going to be, if you read the book, it's going to be lots of maps, doing fun stuff, running around a school. So, uh, uh, And then next year with Gotham Academy, it's a whole lot of stuff I can't talk about yet that's going to surprise you. And um, Black Canary, we're uh, getting ready to end our very first arc, and it's going to bring in some things that uh, are going to shock Canary fans and are going to please Canary fans. And um, how do I say this without spoiling too much? Just spoil it. All right, I'll just tell you what happens exactly. Okay, so issue four. Um, Yeah, we're going to lead into a, a second arc that is a completely different vibe. Okay. With some brand new characters. Totally brand new characters? 
or a new band, a new DC universe uh, encounters. It's a totally brand new character to the DC universe comics. Interesting. Oh. All right. All right. Very cool. Cameron. Uh, we got Batgirl. Uh, what's happening? In oh, Batgirl? what's happening? In Batgirl? We have. The, Let me tell you what's happening in Batgirl. We have a big, uh, we have a big wedding issue coming up, which nice. is pretty fun. Nice. Uh, yeah. Featuring, can we say? Uh, who no. is coming? Nope. No? Okay, we can't say that. Um, oh, but we... Okay, let me just say this. Yeah. You have not seen the cover for that issue yet. I don't think it... Uh, we yeah. spoke about it. They they basically punked you all and put a fake cover in previews, so nobody knows what the actual cover is because it's a big spoiler. So is that for the December issue or for the October? Uh, it's October. Oh, so October. the October issue is going to be a cover we haven't seen yet. Punked. Yeah. Interesting. All right. That's, that's a very timely cool. reference. Wow. Punked. Weeks away, kids. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> uh, what else is happening in Batgirl? So we got uh, a wedding I issue. I can't tell. I can't say anything God. about what's coming up. Oh, yeah, it's on the cover. November issue. Issue 36. Is what? Batgirl meets. Spoiler. Yes. Yeah. Stephanie oh, Brown. Stephanie Brown and Barbara. Finally. Two right, great tastes that take. Taste. I've been hearing this for years. Well done. Wants well done brought back. All right. What, what was going on? Why was the delay? I don't understand. That's my dad video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. Which was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's mostly due to our amazing artists who worked yes. on it. Ming Doyle, you should go say hi to her. Pretty cool she's, story, too. Yeah, she oh, killed yeah, it. No, it was great. Get Grayson and Barbara Gordon together again, kind of. Stephanie did, yeah. Yeah. They, they, they might have run into each other in Eternal, I don't know. Ray, yeah. kind of. Wait, well, it, quite frankly, the, the approach that we take with Batgirl, because we know that a lot of our audience are people that don't read a lot of other DC books and don't really care about a lot of other DC books, we, we play pretty fast and loose with continuity. And we, we just kind of do what feels right to us and for the audience that we're trying to reach. And then maybe one of our editors will step in and go, nah, you can't do that or you need to acknowledge this or whatever but generally we're like we're not quite so concerned with making sure like you know those like every single little thing lines up continuity wise so yeah so they're they're getting together and uh and they're gonna be um yeah it's they're not they're not meeting for the first time in this no. upcoming Batgirl issue. They're just they're, but they're just like they're partnering up. If you look at the cover, you can tell they're about to punch things together. Yeah. So they're on the same team, <laughs> yeah. punching the same things. I love the double punch. Yeah. What isn't he dead? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everyone, yeah, everyone thinks he's dead. But we all recognize that butt. <laughs> yeah. He's got the Which world's most identifiable butt, apparently. Yeah. I love that. That was fantastic. Um, in a couple of weeks in Gotham by Midnight, um, we're doing something that will um, completely change the specter in the DC universe and um, will no doubt be controversial. So nice. um, I'm interested to see how people react to that. Does um, he change to a purple hood? I'm not. <laughs> it's That's even boring. more controversial than that. Because I think Stephanie's going to have an issue with that. <laughs> even more controversial. Um, and then outside of this world, if I can say, um, in October, I have a book coming out um, with a painter named Vince Locke from Top Shelf Books called Junction True that is 
packed to the gills with stuff that DC would never print. Um, it's really, really filthy and horrifying. Oh, awesome. Yeah. All right, we're going to have to talk about it. That's yeah. awesome. No, seriously, thanks for staying later, and I'm glad because, and again, this is the great thing about the flexibility of uh, Cincy Comic Con, that we can let a panel go late and everyone can get a chance to <coughs> ask their questions and we get to hear more than uh, the usual 45 minutes that's allotted on a con. And if you got a pirate coin, uh, if you missed my announcement at the beginning or missed announcements on the floor, you can turn this in for a raffle ticket and for tonight's art auction and raffle, uh, that gives you a free ticket and you are in for the goodies, so you never know what you might get. And I will be giving more of these away at other uh, panels this afternoon. And also, uh, they're being given away on the floor. So uh, try and get a pirate coin. But thank you for your patience and time, and uh, we appreciate your attention. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank you. There you have it. Another word balloon in the books. I hope you enjoyed uh, today's conversations. More on the way. We've got uh, plenty more uh, programming coming. October is upon us and uh, great conversations still to come. Still more content from Cincy Comic Con alongside great one-on-one uh, -on -one new interviews as well. Cincy Comic Con stuff isn't that old, but I wanted to get it out to you while it's still fresh and still pertinent. Uh, but, man, I'll tell you, Ming Doyle, Mike Norton, Chris Burnham, um, great conversations with them at Cincy Comic Con. Uh, a great Fables panel with Billy Willingham, Matt Sturgis, and Chris Robertson. So really neat stuff. We hope uh, you'll stick around for all of that great talk coming up on the Word Balloons Ahead. Today's episode of Word Balloon was brought to you by Bald Eagle Comics, an online comic book store, giving you deep discounts on all your favorite titles. All items on their site are marked down 20% from sticker price, and they have exclusive weekly deals that help you save even more. Shipping is just $3 on all orders, but they'll also give you free rush shipping on any order over $50. And remember, they know you want your comics to arrive safely. Every comic comes in a free bag and board. You won't find lower prices, better service, or people that care more about comics than at Bald Eagle Comics. And don't forget, go over to their website, check out their lineup of stuff. If you're a first-time customer at Bald Eagle Comics, there's a great Word Balloon exclusive offer. Enter the code ROAD on that first order. You'll receive 50% off the total price. So that's on top of the discounts you already get at Bald Eagle Comics. You'll get another 50% off that first order. And uh, see website for details, but it's all very simple and laid out. If you enter the code ROAD, but again, it's only for your first order. But I have a feeling if you make a first order, you'll probably be back at Bald Eagle Comics. Check out their website, baldeaglecomics.com. John Sartre saying thanks again for listening to this episode of Word Balloon and all the episodes of Word Balloon. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your continued support. As I always say, the best way you can help Word Balloon is to let people know about it, and if they're not listening, that they should be listening. So thank you for that word of mouth, passing it along to your friends, family, even your enemies. I'm happy to listen and have them listen to all of my nonsense here on Word Balloon each week. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.